This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Coming up on a go for all the systems start. All systems are go. Everything's good. We're ready to go. 20 seconds and counting. T minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. It was a rocket ship. 12. It was a rocket ship. 11. 10. 10. 2020 is here, and so is the new season of the Dale Jr. Download from Dirty Mo Media. Mike Davis. What's up? Matthew Dillner. Leah, everybody is still here. Still Man, here. They, we, we, all, we survived. We, we, survived. we always have people quit during an offseason. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't fired. <laughs> We're not changing anything, I guess, because we got a, you know, last year was a lot of change. New studio, yeah. new table, yeah, all kinds of new artifacts and fun things. We didn't change nothing, did we? Uh, we, you know, we added the grandfather clock. Yeah, well, it I was mean, a simple. It was, was disassembled. That came in the middle of last but year. But we got to move that over here. Yeah, you, you wanted it behind you, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, man. So last year, probably the one of the one of the top three highlights for me in 2019 was the growth uh, and the and the success of the Dell Junior Download. Man, did did we kick some tail? Yeah, I got it. I mean, hey, I'm not one to boast or brag on no. myself, but damn, what a great year we had! Brag on yourselves a little bit, yeah. No, I mean you got. I it. mean, I'm bragging on me. I don't want <laughs> right. it. Ain't all, it ain't just me here. All right, so we had a great year. We got a, not, a lot of new listeners. Yep. Last year, Mike, you became uh, this incredible interviewer. What? Yeah, man. <laughs> Leah was a huge, we huge addition to the show. Social media, yeah, for sure. Matthew kept uh, kept. Kept the creative uh, coming on the production right, and right. editing. Kept man. Dale's eyes rolling. It was awesome. Awesome, awesome. Kept we it awkward. Some, <laughs> we kept it some, awkward. <laughs> we had a string of incredible guests. Oh, man. All right? And we've already, you know, so just to help you understand, we had a lot of people, we had a lot of people all the time chiming in on social media and on Twitter about who to have on the show, right? When are we going to have this guy? When are we going to have that guy? There's a couple that are right at the top of the list and most commonly uh, – Spoken about, and that's like Mark Martin, Kenny Schrader. We want to have those guys on the show. We have been in conversation with those guys. It just has to work out for their schedule. Mark Martin lives on the West Coast. He didn't come over here that often, right? And so, Mike, you've been in communication yeah. with those guys. We're going to get them on the show. It's just a matter of when they can be here, right? Right. They, they're not right. just going to come on into town just to do the show. It's got to work out for them. So, trust me, we hear you. Trust me, we want them on the show as well. Uh, we've we've got this long list of people that have uh, that that everybody. So we're all all four of us, like like Leah, Matthew, hey Leah, you're on there guest list. I'm not on there. We need to put you on there. Yeah, add me. We need addies. So all four of us are going to be on this uh, sort of a a guest list. What, uh, what is that? What would you call that? It's it's one of those uh, notes. Ap- Apple notes that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that that uh, you all know. of a sudden Ron Caps goes to the top of the list. It's our yeah, wish. Probably. It's our wish list. <laughs> all right, for who we want on the show, and 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 there's there's a couple, maybe a hundred names on there, right? Yeah, there's people that you you know there's the obvious ones that everybody keeps bringing up, but there's people up there that we want, and you may never have heard of, them. right? 
All right, so we've got a lot of people to get to this year. People were wondering, man, how we can how can we keep it going? That's how right. can we keep it going? I'm a little insulted when people say what? that. Like, come on, keep, do you not trust us? Right? Do you not trust us? I mean, look, <laughs> what are we here? Just sitting here rolling around? Not, not well. Of course, we can keep it going. There are a lot of people that we have questions for. Absolutely. So we uh, we got a we got some excitement within ourselves about what we have coming down the pipe. Our guest today, Humpy Wheeler. Mm. Is uh, so so Humpy Wheeler, right? We why would we want Humpy Wheeler on show number one after coming off such an amazing year? We're going to kick off show uh, season, uh, I guess number two of the new studio. Um, show number one, it's got to be big guest, got to be a big big mm-hmm. guest. I couldn't think of anybody bigger than Humpy Wheeler. Right. The man has such a history as the promoter at Charlotte Motor Speedway, but even beyond that, his involvement in Firestone Tires. He's a he was a boxer. His relationship with my dad back then in the seventies, the promoters were what they they're kind of like running the circus. They were the pre, they they sort of acted as the president, the PR, the promotion, the marketing, the whole, the God. idea person. Humpy was legendary. Yes, Humpy. There is never going to be another Humpy. There Wheeler. won't. There won't. And they don't. You know, promoters. I don't think kind of work that way anymore. Whereas, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, for example, Humpy, so the world, you know, the World 600's coming around. Say we're in the early 70s and the World 600's about to happen. You're also competing with the Indy 500. So Humpy has to pull some things out of the hat, right, to, to create some interest in, and, and get people to buy tickets. And he would, he, he'll, he's going to tell you here later in the show that they sold all their tickets right before the race. They didn't have people buying tickets months out in advance they sold all their tickets weeks up into the the event and he had to continue to deliver these storylines right and he would himself go out seek sponsorship to be able to tie to a car that would be owned by a guy some some single some some team owner some team owner out there looking for a driver uh and he would say hey i got 7500 bucks all right you got a car uh, I got a driver, and he and it, and he's a big name, right? Maybe he's not a cup guy or a regular. Maybe it's a maybe it's you know someone one of them Indy five hundred. Yeah, guys well, somebody in another right? series. Yeah. So he uh, he'll call them up and say, "Hey, I got your car to drive. Come race in this race." And and he would put these deals together himself. I know. Like right? what the promoters are not doing that today. They are not putting drivers with race teams, no. matching them up for one off or two off races, and selling the sponsorship behind it. Exactly. Uh, team owners would probably love that. <laughs> yeah, come on, bring, bring me a driver uh, that can win and bring me a sponsor, yeah. Yes. But they don't, you know, that's 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 unheard of. Yeah. I can't wait to ask him about that He stuff. did that so many times for so many unique names, including my dad. And so we're going to hear about that later. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we have a lot of people that we want to get into the studio this year that haven't been on the show. And there's a few people that you enjoyed immensely last year that we want to get back this year to finish some of our conversations. For example, like Dale Jarrett. We didn't even get into, really, his championship years as a cup driver. Right. Um, you know, we kind of just started touching on his, his cup career when we had to shut off the interview. We try to keep him to about an hour, right? And uh, we got to get a lot of those guys back in here that to, to talk more about their show. I want to ask Dale Jarrett if he remembers the time you wrecked him at Watkins Glen. No, oh, yes, we need to talk about that. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, that was bad. And and he was uh, he Dang was so green. mad at you. God, yeah, he was mad. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. So <laughs> we um one of the, let's talk about the clash, man. The clash. We had the clash this past week, and <laughs> the crash, the clash, the crash. So 
the the crash is inevitable. I mean, with the, with this big giant ass spoiler on the back of the car. My gosh, it is what it is. It giant is the, ass spoiler. It is the most obnoxious. I didn't know that they could top the the <laughs> the, the the wing from the COT uh, for obnoxious, <laughs> just in your face. Here I am. Spoiler. They have topped it. I mean, that thing. For I, I'm just surprised that for nobody in uh in the I guess in the competition side of NASCAR, nobody looked at that and went, man, is that too big? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Have y'all put that on a car yet? It looks big. <laughs> it looks like a wall. It does. A big, giant wall. You have to be almost... <laughs> yes. Huge, huge wall. So, <laughs> big, wonderful wall. Biggest on the back of those race cars. <laughs> That's right. That's funny, Mike. So, there is... um, it, Anyhow, that, that so with that... Spoiler on the back of the car and, and the particular rules. The cars, uh, you know, they can't, they, they kind of can't get away from each other. It, they're great race car drivers, the best in the best stock car drivers in the world. But in that particular race car, with the way the rules are, the 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 damage and the carnage at the end of those ty- type of races are are inevitable. And I would expect it to see it again in the Daytona 500 as it gets down to crunch time, as they say. But um. What br- it brings me to talking about the the I'm always tired of hearing it myself. Maybe a lot of other people are as well. But the the clash. Okay, so what was the clash? What what was the what did the clash come from? What, right. So the clash was a 1979. They came up with the clash. Right. You're gonna you're gonna win a pole from the season before, and you get into the clash. Right. And so that would be. 8, 10, 12, 14 guys in this race throughout the years, and it was a 20-lap race. Green flag, run 20 laps, get the checker, and it was over. That's all it was, and that's all that it should be, is a race at the start of the year to celebrate last year's pole winners. It's not a prelude to the 500. It's not anything else. It's a small, it's this It's this race that belongs where it belongs. Right. Yes. All right. It doesn't yes. need to be seventy-five laps, fifty laps, thirty-five laps. Segments. Doesn't need to be segments. Twenty laps to win the race. And I think the the most natural reaction to hearing that is, well, why less? I don't want less. I want more. Why would I? I'm not gonna carve, you know, forty-five minutes out of my day to watch a twenty-lap race. That's not fun. But really, when you watch the race this past weekend. What part was the best part? All right, it was the last fifteen laps when the started happening, when they really began to race each other. Okay, if if it's a seventy-five lap race, they sat there and rode in line, and hey, I'm a driver. I've done this. I know it all too well. For the first fifty laps of that race, they rode in line to protect their themselves for the end. Right? There was no there's no reason to to race. And so, get rid of that. What's that? What's the point of that? Other than to run a few extra commercials and, well, I think you just hit it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Sell a few, sell a little bit of advertising. I'm sorry, it, it's not working. It isn't working. So you might have been successful in creating more ad revenue, but in the end, the experience for the person that bought that ticket or or is watching it on TV was not a good one, not an excellent one. Okay, so I feel like that. It's obvious that the race only needs to be what it is and what it was intended to be, and that is a race to celebrate the pole winners from the year before, all right? And it's a 20-lap race. 
I've got two questions for you. How long did they run that for 20 laps? Like, when did they change it? Probably sometime in the mid-2000s. Oh, that long. So they ran – it was a 20-lap race for several decades. decades. Yes. Up until Dad last ran in it. They did cut it in half and make it like two 10-lap segments, and they inverted and did a couple other fun things, which was okay. Um, And, you know, what was interesting about that is when they did do the invert, Dad still tried to win the first segment because I think there must have been some money on the line or something. But anyways, he wins the first segment. They put him in the rear and then wins the next segment and wins the race. So what what I'm trying to, to say is that the race belongs in that shell that it was originally created for. It's a race to celebrate the pole winners. It's not a kickoff or a prelude to the Daytona 500. Right. It's not a segue or some sort of introduction to speed weeks. It's a race. It, it doesn't matter where it is in the season. It can be anywhere. They could run it. You know, obviously at the start of the year, it's kind of fun because you're celebrating last year's pole, pole sitters, but it, it's, it's not tethered to the Daytona 500 or it's not tethered to, you already have a race so similar to that in the duels. Okay. And I just think that they should say, look, man, if you win a pole, you're eligible, no other eligibility. This is a race just for pole winners to celebrate those guys. You get 20 laps to go out there and try to win it. Have fun. It'll be the most entertaining, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour. That It could be the most entertaining 30 minutes to an hour that you'll have all speed weeks. Yeah, sure. I, I thought it is a celebration of pole winners. Why does the well, number of have, laps the race – why does the number of laps the race has – define if it's a celebration of pole winners or not i thought it well they made it longer in an attempt i guess in in an attempt to make it better and it hasn't worked okay so but you weren't entertained i was entertained for the last and final green white checkered what were you before that um fall i mean i almost fell asleep Mm -hmm. in the first 30 laps okay and i had to uh had to drink some coffee. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm at my home, you know, hanging out. But anyways, the first 30 laps, I was, it was a snooze fest. It was, there was nothing happening, nothing going on. And then, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, this just needs to be 20 laps. We'd be racing. If we would, if it was a 20 lap race, no one would be able to make deals. And, and then it turned into, maybe it was going to be a fuel mileage race, like the worst thing that could possibly happen. In this particular event, it's going to become that. That was something you would want to avoid. Yes, in an all-star oh non-points. My God. You got you know, all the sh- look. Yeah. They the, the crew chiefs and engineers and drivers and all are supposed to do what they did. They are supposed to find the cleverest way, simplest way to the objective in winning the race. Mm-hmm. And so the Chevy guys all get back there and they're doing whatever they're doing with their fuel. I don't know what they were doing, but they were all back there, kind of not even drafting and running their own line down there on the inside and. Everybody else is up on the top around an airline, and I'm like, "What are we doing? What the what in the hell is this become? This is a, this is not what this race was intended to be, all right." And you also have other guys that are eligible for it that that should, I don't think should be in it. I don't think the I think the eligibility rules should be changed to where it's simply just pole winners, not last year's top, you know, chase, not you know, last year's playoff drivers and. Go ahead, Mike. Because they switched to that. Like, if you, you said it, hit it right on the uh, thing. I'm looking at it right now. In the 2000s, they started switching to allow 
previous winners, top 12 drivers in points. Then it expanded in 2012, top 25 in series points, and they just ballooned and ballooned and yeah, ballooned. But they got it back. They well, ran it back. Uh, they're, ran, a bit. they're not. They're no. They're coming back. But damn, just finish off the renovation here and go <laughs> yeah. back to 20 laps. Go back to pole winners. And that's what that race is, and it's all it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be more. It's not spo- you, can't, you can't create and manufacture uh, what that race is intended to be. You can't make it better. You can't, you can't add to it and increase its vol- value or anything by adding laps, by adding more competitors. So when you allow more eligibility outside of pole winners, it's not exclusive Oh no! I, yeah, we we're all on the same page on that. I, I think we all agree on that part. I mean, yeah, l- let it be a celebration of pole winners, and that's it. And you know what? If you have a have a, a race one year where there's ten people in it, yeah, so be it. That's right. The integrity we just had of the race, the most entertaining part of the event. Yeah, it was when there were had six, six cars in six it. Six cars in it. Right, right, right. Now, Damn, that was awesome. But a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people that complained about the clash this year, that was their complaint. Which I got a big opinion about that. Um, that we can say for whenever, but I'm saying is that we all agree that that could celebrate the poll winners. Don't start making additional rules and then, and then leave it at that. Yeah. Right. But my other question for you was, okay. So when Amy posted that Instagram yeah. video and you were giddy, you were laughing and giggling. What yeah. were you giggling about? Like, what was it that was so funny? Was it the okay. fact that there were six the, drivers? left? No, was it the fact? Yeah. What had, so I literally was on my second beer. And just for, just to be clear, strong beer? No, it's okay. two Bud Lights. Look, man, it was it was hilarious. I was that entertained by it. Um, I think it was the and I think it the I think the silliness of it was because of the absurdity of the other green white checkers how they had wrecked on the front straightaway, spinning their tires, and everybody's smashing into each other, and you know just how that race had. I I was frustrated. All right. So many emotions watching this race. <laughs> I was frustrated by the first 50 laps that okay. I had to sit around to watch that parade to see them finally start racing at the end, okay? Um, and again, let me be clear. If I was in the race, I would have not done anything different. Thank you for admitting that. Than any other driver That's did right. in that race. That's right. That's what I would have done. But as a viewer and even a broadcaster, I was frustrated that I had to sit through the first 50 laps of that race to get to the good part. All right. Then they started racing. All right. Mm-hmm. So now my, my emotions swung to, all right, man, here we go. Finally get to see something. Who can do what? And then, you know, the, the green-white checker restarts were, they were absurd. You know, it was, it was calamity. Uh <laughs> That one restart right at the front straightaway where uh, the six spun his tires and the 24, everybody's spinning and wrecking was, I'd never, I don't remember seeing anything like that before. You know, I'd been a part of some, I've been wrecked on a restart and wrecked myself on restarts, but that was a lot of people. All right. Yeah. And, uh, and then it's, it, it just kind of swung into hysterical <laughs> by the final green, white checkered. So, uh, you know, the car, all these cars are destroyed, and the 42's leading. Next year, now he's sixth. I thought the 42 was going to win, mm-hmm. uh, Larson, and then he, fell, then he went, fell back to sixth, and everybody's getting pushed by everybody, and, and just the, the lead is changing so quickly. And in all that, I had forgot Denny was a lap down. Jeff Gordon, even a broadcaster in the booth, who's, who did, they did a great job 
with the race, considering all the obstacles they had to hurdle. He even didn't know Denny was a lap down. And how do you? How can you? I mean, we did just they did just talk about it on the previous, you know, before the green white checkered. They did talk about it, but it's so easy to forget because it's it's the clash, and you don't assume or think or ever you didn't you'd never expect anyone to be a lap down in this little short, you know, exhibition. So uh, for whatever reason, I'm thinking, man, Denny's gonna win. He's pushing his teammate, and he's gonna pull out and go right around him and. As they're coming around turn three and four, <laughs> I thought Newman was going to win at one point because he goes to the inside, takes the lead. Then Dylan's trying to get underneath him uh, down the back straightaway. They go through three and four, and, the, and, and Newman's car just starts smoking for some damn reason, right? <laughs> I mean, it was just – you were – there was just one thing happened after another on that final green-white checkered, and it was, it was funny. I was amused. Um, it was entertaining. Yeah. It was entertaining. Sure. Yeah. And – I'm telling you, it don't need to be but 20 laps, and you would get pretty much that type of entertainment for the duration of the race. Obviously, you wouldn't count caution laps. If a caution comes out, they don't count those laps. And uh, I don't think a segment or a, or, or a halfway break at 10 laps is necessary, but if that's something you know that people can't do without, then that they'll have that. But the race really doesn't need to be 75 laps. It, it, it doesn't. But anyways, that's that's... Well, was there any other complaints about the race? It felt like the number of laps, it felt like that that wasn't really what people had a problem with. And I, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that, I mean, that's, that's Go good. Ahead. Well, no, no, no. What, what were other things that people had problems with is what I'm asking. Do you, did it, it, was that it? Was that literally it, the number of laps? I'll be honest with you. I don't think that the average fan or, the, or most people that tune in ever at the end of the day thought, well, the problem is the laps. Right. Okay. No, I, I'm with you on that. So you, that, that's an observation you have and I, you're passionate about. My observation, my opinion, and I don't believe that anybody else watching the race has that has that concrete or or, or is that uh, committed. Uh, like I'm 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 not willing to die on that hill, but I'll fight on it for a while. <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, like some of the observations I I noticed. They just didn't hold water to me because, you like know, what? oh, that it was just, you know, gimmicky and it was just absurd at the end of the race, but having only, a, a, you know, six cars and that kind of thing. And I'm just like, the same people would probably complain that there's, if there's no wrecks and now they're complaining that there were too many. And I just look at the all-star race. I don't take it too serious to begin with. It is what it is. And it, it's supposed to entertain. And I don't think it is supposed to replicate the Daytona 500 or even the duels. I think it's supposed to just kind of. Just kind of wait your whistle a little bit. Just kind of get you, you know, get, it's been a long off season. Now we got cars on the track. Absolutely. And, and just put them out there. Let's have a race and, and let's entertain us for a little bit. And I thought it did that. And the people that want to sit there and complain about it. And, and it's like, to me, the people that complain about that type of race are the same ones that complain about an appetizer not filling you up. <laughs> you know, like it, appetizers suck because it's not as good as the main course. But it's not supposed to be. You know, it's. I thought it did what it was supposed to do, and it played out in ways that were comedic and yeah. and and somewhat fun. But we never turned away. We're talking about it. We're I, talking about it. Not you know. I pulled um, up uh, Gluck's poll. You know, he always yeah. What asked, was his poll? Yeah. So he actually just posted the results. Forty nine point seven percent of you said yes. It was a it was a good race. Right, so That's right the most that. out of um, any clash that he's asked about. And I'm just kind of going through the comments and like people say like it was it was fun. Like that's what the clash is supposed to be. Like it's not it's not for anything other than entertainment yeah. and and money. So 
And so I agree I agree that it was fun. I just wish we could get to the fun quicker sooner. But that's yeah. the same argument you could make on races in general. Well, right? I agree, but the the thing about it is If you're making that argument, man, if I'm we, not I'm not. If we didn't have the duels. If we didn't have the duels. Okay, I know where you're going here. I yeah. would probably be okay with the clash being what it has become. But it is almost too similar to the mm. duel for Agreed, me 100%. now. That's a good point. Yeah, it's almost too similar to the duel for me now that it's almost repetition, too too much of the same thing. And I have embraced change. I have I have embraced you know whatever direction NASCAR wants to go in, whatever direction our our, our networks want to go in. I am open to trying whatever wants to be needs to be tried to help the sport grow and become better. But there are some things that I just ain't willing to let go of that I know that were tried and true. And there was nothing wrong with the clash for two decades. And then, you know, some somebody in a boardroom thought that they had a better plan and a better mousetrap. And I don't believe that it's that, that that's the case anymore. So I, I feel like that, uh, you know, there's even been, you know what, I wouldn't, this wouldn't really bug me that much, except for the fact that there's there's even been some whispers of getting rid of the clash. Like just just what's what's the point in having the clash, right? Dra- owners are spending, you know, like Joe Gibbs said, we spent a million du- million bucks pretty much to Don't win this spend. race. Well, that's a whole another point. But the whispers of getting rid of it uh, are the are that see that's the absurdity of where we we've. We've taken this thing and twisted and contorted and and tried and tried to make it better and better, and now people don't even think they want it, right? It needs to just be back where it was, what it was intended to be, and it's be a. It has. There's still. It's still salvageable, I guess. And if if we continue, I think on this path of you know having the 75 lap race that's a snoozer till the very end, and then all hell breaks loose, it will go away one day. You and I came up with an idea in the off season that would change would be perfect for the clash. Yeah, and it just occurred to me. We were doing another project, and we heard about an idea that had happened at a racetrack years ago. Yes, where fans were putting money and betting on it in the stands, and yep. they were it, it, for the drivers, not themselves. Right, but they were basically saying, "Hey, if this driver will race balls out and go just as hard as they can." Here's an extra thousand dollars for their for their prize for yeah. their purse, and we were like looking at each other, going, "Why couldn't we do this now? Like like have the fans take control of how hard the drivers are going to race and incentivize them, and 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 it's like almost have pools going. It changes the it changes the purse, it changes the incentive. We we thought now these people were, uh, just to be clear, they were drunk when they were doing it at this racetrack, <laughs> but we were looking at it going, man, would well, that change the dynamics of racing? So yes. So the story goes yeah. that back in the '60s, there used to be these boxes down at the front straightaway. Uh, That's right. At the fence, at the bottom of the grandstands, with the drivers' names on them, and fans could walk down there and drop five, ten, twenty bucks in the into the That's box right. for your favorite driver. If you were a huge Lee Petty fan, and you wanted to, uh, he knows like, that if he wins the race, he's getting that box, right? Um, so you want to go down there and put 20 bucks in that box for Lee. 
he wins the race, he gets the box, right? It's a little extra cash. I think they said that they would make, uh, you know, maybe another thousand. Bucks another thousand dollars, which was very important. Yeah, on top of the thousand or fifteen hundred they won for right. the race. Yeah, take that and, and be inspired to try to create something maybe not quite as similar. You can't have fans trying. You can't, you know, fans can't be putting thousands of dollars in there, but. Why? Well, I mean, well, I mean let, who let, has let, a, let they, fans determine what they put right. in there. Well, we I mean, don't have to give the rules okay, to the fans. Well, what happens if David Reagan wins the race and he's only got ten bucks in there? Man? He gets ten bucks. I mean, listen, that's no, no. You're that's not the point of it. Okay. It's not. It's not making bets. It's not predicting who wins. It's Matthew's worried about everybody's feelings. I know. We're not <laughs> caring about feeling. Like you get, you get. So, like, think about this. It's it's almost the same as what do you call it? Oh, when you'd put a bounty on on somebody. Yeah. And so you're like, you didn't want that driver, a specific driver to win. And so you were incentivizing other people with money. This just happened to be from the owners. Well, at this particular speedway we were at, the fans sort of took it into their own hands. And they're like, look, we're going to start putting money in boxes. And, and, uh, and, and were they not doing it to try to prevent somebody, like whoever it was that was just dominating yeah. every week? I mean, it's basically putting a bounty on it, but it's fan driven. This could probably be done through an app. Not in Iowa. Not a box. Not a physical box. <laughs> not a physical box down there on the front straightaway that you'd have to go right. put money in. Because because there's going to be the one person that takes the box before the have, race is over. You could have a, a last lap pass box. So if you're a driver and you oh, yeah. you pull off a, a pass on the last lap for the for the win, you get that box. I don't know. It'd be kind of maybe that. Do it in an all star race. Maybe though. that's what NASCAR needs to do with their payout is get a little more creative on how they pay out and why they pay certain, you know, why they would pay certain ways, at least for maybe a race like that. Yeah, the don't do it on race. a points race. Yeah. Do it on an all-star race. Yeah. Again, it's not. It's just supposed to be entertaining. The, la- the, fi- the last lap pass bonus, the slingshot bonus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all Hold right, up. we've exhausted that one. Um, <laughs> now, I don't ever think that they'll ever go back to 20 laps, unfortunately, but – be in the middle. Hey, no, I'm not willing to be in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna fix it, fix it. All right, ch- there's some changes to the Hall of Fame. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. Really? I, I, well, it depends. I mean, go well, the voting or uh, the voting, uh, the number of eligible, not the way that. Um, they're, so they're gonna only have three guys go in next year. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. I didn't know that. Actually. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Matthew. Uh, get on top of this. Correct yep. anything in that I'm I that I'm you. wrong about. I'm liable to be incorrect on a few things. But so they've let five guys in over the last uh, several years. Yep. Each year. Yeah, ten, ten, and ten uh, you know they'll have 25 nominees, and then a voting panel will narrow it down to the five guys. And it has created a really impressive list of members that are in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely everyone that is in there deserves to be in there, and it's incredible. And it's been a great celebration of our sport, and it's in downtown Charlotte, and we love it, and we, we want to encourage people to go visit. All right? But it's also created a lot of great dialogue and conversation about who's going in and who isn't. And one of the uh, – there's a couple names, all right, that, that, that a lot of people think should be in there or should have already been in there and are, are sort of getting passed over. I'll read a little bit of a list here. Butch Lindley, Ray Hendrick, John Holman, Ralph Moody, Kirk Shelmerdine, mm-hmm. Larry Phillips, Smokey Eunuch, Mike Stefanik, Red Farmer, Chris Economaki, Sam Ard, Herschel McGriff, T. Wayne Robinson, Ralph C. Robertson. Graves. Yeah, T. Robertson. Wayne Robinson, yeah. Yeah, Ray Fox, Harry Gant, Barney Hall. I mean, 
there's a long list of names. I think that they, well, they'll get in there, yeah. right? But they're not getting in there, and they're 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 there's some, you know. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go against, I guess, the people that would support me to go in there soon. I think there's there, there's some names that are getting in there before them that are a little younger, right? Uh, but but certainly there's no argument about who deserves to be in there. It's just when were these guys gonna get in, right? They they're trying to fix that. They're making a couple changes to where there's going to be three guys getting in, and two will be from the quote modern era. Yep. And one will be what what are they calling that? Mike pioneer Matthew? category. The pioneer category. Okay. All right. And so how are you in this pioneer category? I think it's pre. 19. More than 60 years ago. Yes. Yeah. So, And that's always going to be changing, right, as we go through yep. the years, the pioneer category. So somebody will uh, possibly not be in the pioneer category, and if they don't make it, they transition to that. Yes. Okay. And there's also, uh, so there's a pioneer category, and it's one guy each year is going to be in this pioneer category. Two guys out of the more modern selection of decades, I guess, are going to get in. So that'll be three. I like it. I think it ensures that, some of these names that I that I, that I mentioned uh, will soon be having their day uh, to celebrate an honor, like getting in the Hall of Fame. But I don't know. You know, I feel like that it should have been flipped. Where I, thank you. It's I, one I'm modern. Just about it. It's one modern day guy and two pioneer and guys. two pioneer guys. Thank you. And the pioneer guys, I think the the I think it should be the modern day should be from the last thirty years. All right. Yeah, I can make an argument for so, 20, 30 years. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Give me one guy that deserves to go in there from the last 30 years, and then give me two guys from beyond that. And that way I know that, you know, we're putting in these these names, Smokey Eunuch, uh, Chris Economaki, names that I've mentioned. Ray Fox. They're going to get in there, and we're not going to have – I mean, literally, I'll just name this – List yeah. of names. We're going to have to wait one year each for each of these guys to get in there. I mean, geez, it's going to be two decades before a couple of these names that need to be in there now ever get in. If that means that, look, I'm not. I'm not assuming by any means. I'm not assuming that I'm going in. But if I have to wait, I can wait. I don't need to be in there next year. These names that I just mentioned need to be in there, and so I applaud them for making some adjustments to go in that right direction. But I'm not sure that it's enough, and and you know, you can't let them, you can't put them all in at the same time. You can't have a, uh, you can't have a night where you got 15 <laughs> inductees going right. in. But um, I, I feel like that it should be weighted, weighed more toward the pioneers than toward the modern name, right? I got several reasons why. I Go like ahead, that idea. Well, I mean, well, first of all. I don't think this is the responsibility of the Hall of Fame necessarily, but ideally, you know, g- getting them in while they're still alive is always a nice thing. Um, and so two pioneers over the over one would maybe help with that. The other thing, and I've been dying to ask you guys this. I've, all last year I wanted to ask this, and we just never had the opportunity. I'm doing it now. With the, with, the, with the standards that have been applied, and even with this new one, with two more recent guys in like. How many of the current drivers do you think will end up in the Hall of Fame? A lot of them. I can go at least eight. Oh, yes. Yep. Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick. I mean, these are no-brainers, am I right? Yeah. Um, you've got, like, I think there's arguments, but, like, if, if, if Bobby Labonte's going in, Mike. Mark Martin's going in, Martin Truex is going to have to go in. Oh, but yeah. you could say that with every era. You could say that no, with every no, no, no. That's my point. I think, I well, think that's I think my what point. he's trying to say is, is 
Go ahead, Mike. I'm There's sorry. a lot of people lot that of we're people. Caught, off the current criteria that we're putting into the Hall of Fame, and I don't know. Couldn't the standards be a little bit higher, a little bit more? I mean, because right now of the current drivers, we can think of at least eight that are are shoe ins when it, when they become eligible. I mean, like you know, I don't know. I don't. I think the standards for me are pretty comfortable. Um, I feel like that the names. Go ahead, you got some names right now. All right, so Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, yes. Oh yeah. Uh, is Truex? Yes. Uh, uh, Harvick, Denny Hamlin. Yes. Joey Logano. Yes. Brack is Yes. Kurt Busch. Of course. All right. I mean, that's eight right there. That's eight right there. All of those are easy selections. I, I just think that's a lot. I mean, like that's a lot of people. I think it just says a lot. It says, I mean, but those guys had awesome careers. I can't. Yeah. Argue that they don't. I can't. I mean, they belong in there. They had amazing careers. I don't think that you make it stricter uh, to try to eliminate an obvious Hall of Famer. I, 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 I can I interject you. here because I think you have a, a you point. Cannot, you cannot. Okay, stand down. <laughs> stand down. Go ahead. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. I, I, you don't I, even have to ask. I don't think the criteria is the thing that's wrong. I think it's the direction of how people are voting in that room, mm. and that's not a knock on the people that are voting. But I think the direction of the people in that room is the problem more than the voting. You've been it. inside there. I haven't, well, I haven't been in there. When, when I do my voting every year on the internet, because I'm just a fan, it seems to not align with what they, they do. And there's a lot of chatter afterwards of why didn't why is Ray Fox passed over this many times? Why was Raymond Parks passed over this many times? Why is this person maybe not considered? But Bobby Labonte deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. There were some people that I heard chatter of, well, why before this person? You're always going to get that in every sure. Hall of Fame. But there's, there's, there's worth to that opinion. There's value to that opinion that maybe some of the pioneers should be in before some of these guys that just retired well, six, eight years ago. I like the direction that they're going, my, or, uh, Matthew, to – to assure that there will be that pioneer selection, mm-hmm. but I feel like it should have been weighed weighted more toward two pioneers and one modern guy, and 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 if that work if 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 we go a decade or or five years and you know that needs to be adjusted, uh, then then so be it. But I think there's more pioneers. I think the bucket for pioneers is more is is heavier than 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 it is for the modern day. Good point. Selections. Yeah, I think we agree on that. At this particular time. Now, in a few more years. it could change. It could change. For sure. Because of just the point you made, Mike, where you have literally maybe 10 Hall of Famers currently competing, right, in our sport. So, but anyways, you know, I was was really surprised that they even made any change at all. I felt like that this argument, we were just going to have this year after year after year where we inducted, you know, five guys and then we had this, you know, a twelve-month conversation about the the you know the, the two net. dozen guys that didn't get in that should be in there. I just you know hopefully we can Kirk Schiomardine you know I mean they're, I, they're all those names they all belong in there and I hope that they eventually get in there. Kirk was inducted into the uh, he's National Motorsports yeah, Press uh, NMPA, Association. Yes. Yeah, he Good was inducted into that Hall of Fame. Pretty interesting stuff. What else is going on, man? Humpy. I think that's what's going on. Yeah, we got to get, get him get in humpy. here. All right, all right. Coming in the studio next, Humpy Wheeler. There he is. Here he comes. Hey. Look at this guy. Come on in. Ah, uh, Humpy. What's going on, man? Well, this is quite a dig here. And do, I like do you like it? Here. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, where's the boxing ring? Oh, that's right. You, your dad, you, you gave me that boxing ring back. 
this used to be a souvenir shop, so the fans could walk in here, outside, uh, look for souvenirs, and then look at the race cars. But we turned it in. Once I retired, I don't sell, I don't sell souvenirs anymore. <laughs> so we turned this into a studio. So we oh, you'll make... start selling them again. Do something, <laughs> do something spectacular. Is that we, right? We need a promoter. You know what? We need a promoter. I know somebody <laughs> that might be able to hustle that up. Yeah, <laughs> hustle I it up. I see old Ralph's car over there, number eight. Yeah, there's a lot of good. You know, art. I actually raced against him. You raced against Ralph Earnhardt. I sure did. When? Sumter, South Carolina. I've heard of that track. Uh, back in the 50s. You drove? Yeah, I did. Okay. Tell me about your driving career. Well, I'll tell you how it ended. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we're coming out of the uh, fourth turn, and I was bad about hitting things. I thought I was boxing again, you know. Yeah. And uh, we had a big pileup, and somebody landed on top of me. And, you know, this is an old sportsman car, and you wonder what in the world is going to happen with all these gas fumes, and I can't get out of the car. Yeah. And I hear this guy over me yelling, and I knew his voice, but I was kind of dazed a little bit. And uh, so finally somebody pulled me out. Well, it was Kale. Kale Yarbrough? On top of me. And he said, Humpy, he said, I got an idea. This is about the fifth time this has happened. He said, why don't you start promoting races, <laughs> and I'll drive. Yeah. <laughs> Did you cause it? Did you cause of the pilot? Of course I caused it. <laughs> <laughs> so you keep mentioning boxing. I know that you are a big fan of boxing, but did you you did some boxing, right? Yeah, I boxed for uh, eight years. Yeah, so you were good. Yeah, I was okay. I uh, there was a couple of guys there that uh, were in my weight class. One of them was Joe Frazier, another one was Ali. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I said, I ain't going to go too far here. I'm going to so quit was, while I'm ahead. So when, when did you box? What, how old were you when you were boxing? I started boxing when I was 14, and I quit one. I'm going to tell you, I quit three years ago. Well, I was the oldest man in the history of the state of North Carolina what? to ever box in an official bout. You just had an official bout three years ago? I did. With who? A guy named Jazzy Kirkland, who was a pro, and uh, I was emceeing the deal that night oh. in Charlotte, and uh, he called me that morning. He said he couldn't, that his his guy quit. And uh, I said, well, try this guy, try Billy, try Joe. I've tried them all, and they can't. And he says, I've sold a bunch of tickets, and he says, I can't get my money back unless I find an opponent, and I want it to be you. And I said, well, we'd sparred a lot together, you know, and I said, gee whiz, I don't even have my license. He said, well, you know all those guys up in Raleigh, you can get it. And um, so I thought a minute, and I said, hey, this might be a good good opportunity because I could go last. You know, I could do my MC and I could yeah. go last. And, um, you know, I sparred him enough, I thought I could at least not, you know, stay on my feet. And so... Um, Three bouts for the end, I got somebody to take my place, and I went in, and I had all my boxing stuff on underneath my tuxedo. Oh, my gosh. I had my boxing shoes, my <laughs> trunks, and all that. I didn't want my wife to know, Pat to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> She'd have put a real queezus on that. She'd have put a linoleum yeah. knife yeah. through my tires, you know. And so I went in the bathroom. I started taking my tuxedo off, and this guy, that this boxer I know, he said, what you doing, man? I said, I'm going to fight. He says, who? I said, Jazzy. I said, you fighting Jazzy? I said, yeah. He said, wait a minute. 
you got all that stuff on underneath that. I thought you were going to go out there in your tuxedo. I said, look, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> so anyway, we went out there, and I'm going up the ring stairs to get to the ring. And this guy that uh, had worked for me for a while, he was a former Olympian from Trinidad, boxer. And did pretty well, and then he turned pro and everything. And he looked, he was a ref. He looked at me coming up to his ring stairs, and he says, I ought to give you a standing eight count right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Nothing like a confidence booster as you're walking oh, to hear that, that from was, the ref. I said, you know what? I said, every once in a while, somebody goes wild in the ring and hits the ref. <laughs> that calmed him out a little okay, bit. Okay, so what happened? How did this fight turn out? Well, uh, first round I did okay. Second round I did not do okay. He kept, you know, hitting me in the mouth, <laughs> and I was bleeding out my mouth. And I said, uh, third round, it's four-rounder, three-minute rounds. And the, the third round, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it gets tiring. And I said, I know he won't get tired because this man just keeps going. He's like the ready battery. So I uh, caught him with a good left hook in the gut in the early part of the fourth round, and that slowed him down. Yeah. And um, so the fight's over, and they declared it a draw, which really wow. ticked him off. Yeah. <laughs> How old is he, by the way? Is it He's uh, he was the senior light heavyweight okay. champion. Okay, got, got it. So got it. he was um, he's he's forty eight. You wow. were how old? Seventy nine. And you fought a forty eight year old man. I did to a draw. To a draw. I wish there was a well. Let me tell you with this somewhere. Uh, well, I, I know, but to tell you the rest of the story, I'm walking out of the ring. You know, the big they just put new steel posts there, and I hit the post, and there was a burr sticking off of it. And my right shoulder just bleeding like the dick. I got blood all over me now. I thought, oh, God, I can't go home. You know, it's going to be bad enough <laughs> as it is. And so I saw uh, Dr. Estwanek over there, and I said, uh, hey, Joe, I said, uh, I need some stitches on this thing. And he looked at it, and he says, well, I can do that, but I don't have any Novocaine. <laughs> and I said, do it. Oh, wow. So we stitched it up, and. How come I I think you're making this whole thing yeah, up? Is well, this for no, real? no, That's this right. is for real. Unbelievable. And, uh, so I got I got home. She who must be obeyed had already heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, was she ticked! Oh, and now I got blood all over me and everything else, you know, because I I just drove home in my, you know, in your trunks, trunks and everything, because I didn't want to change. I just wanted to get home. And take the take the be- the worst beating of the night. Yeah. <laughs> where, where was this fight? This was at uh, in Charlotte at the um, uh, Sports Center down on Remount Road. My goodness. Our yeah. crack our crack statisticians are, are researching right now to find the validity of this story. <laughs> They're going to thumb up it. or thumb down. They're like, Nah, he's making it up. No, <laughs> but you're saying it's true. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why I know Humpy was a big fan of boxing, other than the fact that he kept trying to get me to spar with him for years. Um, because I had a ring too, and I yeah, and I know who buddies. stopped you from doing that too. <laughs> yeah, well, he would um on the front straightaway at Sharpmore Speedway for pre race, uh, they'd set up a ring right in the grandstands, right below the flag stand, and have matches. Right? Yeah. How long did you do that? About ten or twelve years. Yeah. So he'd have all yeah. these amateurs and 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 pros pros out there yeah. fighting, uh, right for the fans. Yeah. 
great. And they loved it. They loved it. You know, we had that uh, kid from Lincoln, Billy Bridges. He uh, he was pretty good, and we had a great fight there that night when he fought a guy named Oscar Pena. <laughs> that sounds from, familiar. Uh, well, he he did pretty good, and uh, <laughs> yeah. this was for the right to meet Gianfranco Rossi for the World Middleweight Championship. Wow. Tony Ayala, uh, whose son was a great boxer, Tony was managing this, this kid, and so I said, uh, look, I need a tape. So he sent me the tape. I didn't think much of it. I said, okay, we're going to make the fight. I didn't want the guy to get beat. My boy didn't get beat. Now, promoters are not supposed to manage fighters that are on the card, but I was head of the Cabarrus Boxing Commission, so I ruled in favor of me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we had to fight. When we were going to the 12th round, I couldn't believe it. it wasn't the same guy I saw on that tape. I couldn't believe this. The guy was just crazy. Well, it was dead even going into the 12th round. And he caught Billy with a left hook to the ear and busted his eardrum. Hmm. And I could see he did because Billy's what he, he didn't know where he is. I mean, his feet. His head does, but his feet don't know where he is. Right. And he's wobbling around. He's going to get hurt bad. So my traditional deal to the ref, if I want to see the fight stopped, is this. And I did this, but I did it real slow because I was thinking that $250,000 we were going to make with that championship fight, gone. And so he stopped the fight. Yeah. But um, and Billy never fought again. Really? So then I went over to Tony Allen. I said, "That tape you sent me, that ain't the same kid. He looks like him." He's this is on Wednesday, you know, for qualifying. He said, "Yeah, what you don't know is his mother died Monday." Oh, wow! Oh, wow! And we didn't know that. He didn't yeah. tell anybody. Yeah. You know, so he came in there to. Take care of Get business. it on, yeah. Everybody. So did you say that Humpy wanted to spar with you? Well, yeah. Well, Humpy's always been, um, you know, had a passion for boxing, always yeah. been obviously involved in boxing, just boxed three years ago. <laughs> and um, I was boxing to, I had a ring. Me and Josh Schneider would get in there. Me yeah. and my other buddies would get in there and box. And I was a big Arturo Gotti fan, big boxing fan. And we'd get in there and just spar. We had a bell. We had an automatic bell. And we just turn it on and go, and we have 10-round fights. And, I mean, we weren't trying to kill each other, but running around in there swinging at each other for three minutes uh, for 10 rounds is yes. all you can do. I mean, it, you're dragging. You're it's arm, like driving Bristol without power steering, right? It is. <laughs> it is. By the end, by the halfway through it, you're, you can hardly hold – the gloves feel like they weigh 100 pounds yeah. after the end of a fight. Yeah. It's pretty fun, though. So much fun. It, it, it is, is fun. a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, loved it. Um. The worst part about it was it would get dangerous about three o'clock in the morning because we'd try to find we'd be at the house drinking with all our all our buddies having a big party, <laughs> and you'd try to talk the two biggest guys in the room into fighting each other, and yeah. they would if you bash right. them long enough. Right, they'd end up getting in the ring at three o'clock in the morning. Somebody end up bleeding. Somebody'd be mad. Somebody'd be laughing, and uh, we eventually had to get rid of the ring. But um, well, yeah, there's you, you showed up at Kansas with a black eye I did. From, the, from the bull rider <laughs> I did that you decided that you were yeah, going to get got, the boxing yeah. ring with. So, Humpy, I got a. Uh, I read a story. Um, Will Cronkite, I think, is putting together a book and uh, sent me a couple uh, pieces of information and stories that he's going to put in that book. And one of them was really interesting. Um, you know, I'd known that Dad. The car is right here on the table. It's white number ninety six Cardinal oh, Tractor yeah. Company car. That's right? it. So, That's yeah. it. So, you know, this is a car that Dad drove 
for Will Cronkite in 1978, I believe. And um, he have, this is the car, and, that, and Will feels the same way, that sort of launched Dad's opportunity to go drive for Rod Osterlin. Okay? It did. Got him an opportunity to run a sportsman car for Rod, and he did really well in that car, which eventually sent him on his cup ride the next year in 1979. But this is the car that Will Cronkite owned. So in Will's story... Uh, you and, and you can explain this in a bigger uh, encompassing your career. Back when you were promoting Charlotte Motor Speedway, and especially in the 70s, it was really common for the promoters to put together deals and bring in guys. Oh, yeah. Right? And you, I mean, talk about some of those deals that you put together to bring in IndyStar, IndyCar racers, sports car racers. This one in particular uh, was uh, Willie T. Riz was going to drive this car. Right. Um, and something went down with him and the police in Charlotte. A whole lot went went out. Okay, <laughs> let's hear but, it. But yeah. the uh, but first off, tell me about promote you know being a promoter and that, that don't happen anymore, right? We don't we don't have promoters putting deals together. Well, we need to now. Yeah, we need to get some more people in those seats, and that was the problem then. Um, you um, you didn't sell most of the tickets until race weekend back in those days. Yeah, as a promoter, you're you you guys would. You guys would acquire a car by many well, different... Whatever it took. Like, the, the first one I did was Janet Guthrie. Okay. And, boy, that hit the big time because we weren't selling any tickets because she was up in Indy, and it was just every time she moved, it was headlines. And the Charlotte Observer. I, I called the Observer, and I said, Hey, you know, we got a race here. Yeah. It's not at Indianapolis. We'll do something. Mm. Well... So I started working on her and finally got her to run, and it was a huge success. So you called her? Yeah. That is, how did that work? You just. Well, I got tired of reading a, about her, so I called her. I said, Janet, <clears throat> I just talked to Clint Bronner, your crew chief, and he said there's a possibility he might not make the race at Indy. Well, that ticked her off. Right? <laughs> As it should. That's not the phone call she wants to get. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, after she unseethed herself, she said, well, what, what, do you, what do you got in mind? I said, I want you to come down here and run. I said, I want you to come down now. Don't wait around. Well, she wouldn't do that. So then finally she called me one night, and she said, okay, I'll tell you what. There is a chance I might not make it. If I don't, I want the best car you can get. And I said, well, you know, you've researched. What are you talking about? Well, now, you'll kind of laugh about this because, again, she didn't know anything about NASCAR. Yeah. I said, I want the car A.J. Foyt sat on the pole at Daytona with. Mm. Well, that's right. not what you want to run at Charlotte. <laughs> that's but, right. You know, okay. Whatever she wants, you know. So It's did available. She, did she want the nitrous available. bottle that yeah. was in it? Too? <laughs> <laughs> Three of them. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I, uh, I, I called Foyt, and, uh, of course, dealing with him is like eating uh, barbed wire. You know, it, it hurts like the dickens until it goes in your stomach, and then it dissolves from the acid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you want, A.J.? And I know A.J. I knew A.J. pretty good. And so he said, um, he gave me a figure, which was ridiculous. And I said, well, I, and I countered with half of that which ticked him off, and then we finally got to two-thirds, and we made a deal. So I uh, called her up, and I said, I got Foyt's car, and when it sat at Daytona, she said, I, can you verify that? So I called A.J. back up, and I said, just write a letter saying this was the car you sat on Daytona, the pole at Daytona with, okay? Who knows? 
And so he did, and and I uh, faxed it to her and all that junk. Well, she didn't make the field at Indy. She missed it by a mile and a half. But I didn't like that, so I called Foyt back up, and I said, I got a real big favor to ask you, and I overpaid you for this car. You know that. And he grunted a couple times, you know, like he does. And I said, would you let her drive your backup car, which you're not going to use because all they had was carburation day, and let her make a couple laps at the speedway? And he agreed, and she did, and she ran faster than she needed to to make the field. So she left, you know, untainted, so to speak. Copy. It was the first time I never had to call a press conference. Uh-oh. They followed her down to Charlotte, uh. and it was a big deal. And uh, so the day after she qualified, it's funny. You know, we used to qualify on Wednesday. You're a historian, Dale. Uh, qualify on Wednesday, and then you qualify again on Thursday for the 21st through 44th. Second round. Yeah. yeah. Second round. Well, she had the fastest car on the second round. Well, the Sacramento B, you thought she'd made the pole. Guthrie fastest qualifier at Charlotte, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that went on around. But what her got in the field is I called Junior and I said, Junior uh, Johnson, I said, look, I need a big favor. I said, uh, you, uh, I'm a little off with that Guthrie car. Can you go over there and set it up? And he agreed to do it. Mm. So he took Kale over there. He was his driver, and Kale ran it a couple laps, came in and said his usual this is the worst car I've ever been in my life deal. And Junior got Herb Nab and his five-pound hammer, and they went over there and started whacking on the car. Next thing you know, she's in it, and all of a sudden she's running. And it's a different race car. You've yeah. been down that road many oh, yeah. times, I know. Sure. And so um, uh, she made the field, and when she made the field, we sold completely out. That's awesome. But a crazy thing happened. Race day. I'm sitting up there, sell out, and um, my brother David, God rest him, he um, he used to get me, he'd do anything he could when I made a mistake to let me know it. And whenever I made a big mistake, he'd call me Buster, and he'd elbow me in the ribs, which wasn't good because he weighed 250 pounds. He played football in North Carolina. He came up to the control tower, and uh, man, I'm sitting there, and Halfway marks, uh, marks there, and you know, but it's hot, and I'm w- wondering if she can make the whole thing. I mean, anybody could on that right. day, and so uh, he comes up and he whacks me in the ribs, and he says, "Buster, you're in big trouble." I said, "What's wrong?" He says, "You're sucking air." That meant all the wells had gone. Oh, oh. we usually use five hundred thousand gallons of water, uh-huh. six hundred. Okay. Yeah. Well, and for the last the whole time. Well, this time, it just made it pass halfway. Oh, and I no. Was like, what in the world? How could that happen? And Harvey Walters, which is a uh, friend of your dad's, he was the operations guy to track then. He had a absolutely great backup plan. He had 40 volunteer fire departments mm. that he'd contacted weeks before in case we needed some water. And and the deal was $500 cash if you uh, bring your tanker truck to the speedway and empty it into the to the tanks. But you got to do it in 45 minutes. <laughs> 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 well, 
Well, he thought there was a, the Duke Power blown up, you know, the dam, because it was they were had the sirens <laughs> on wide out and run as fast as they could. Who's gonna stop them? Right. Know? And so that's what got us through, thanks to Harvey. And uh, she made it, and she actually finished fifteenth. Yeah. Which was pretty Very darn good for yeah. the yeah for for the day. Six hundred miles. Yeah, six hundred miles. You know what that's like. You yep. sold that out. We sold it out. Without her in the race, where do you end up, uh, just out of curiosity? Without her in the race, we would have had fifteen to 18,000 unsold tickets. Mm. That's that's not good. Uh, yeah. No. All right, so let's fast forward to 1978. You, right. got your, you, you call Will Cronkite. Will Cronkite and uh, uh, Willie, uh, Willie T. Ribs. Yeah, Willie T. Ribs, after a death threat against me, um, yeah, he was we had quite a bit of publicity, you know, and all that. And then he went down to Talladega, and um, I got Ned Jarrett to take him down to Talladega, and because I was busy as Dickens, the race was the next week, and or two, or whatever it was. And so uh, they go in a drivers' meeting. Now you know this is just something you don't do in a drivers' meeting, as many as you sat in. And uh, so Mike Helton says, "Any questions?" And, of course, Willie's got to be Willie, and, and he put, puts his hand up. And then, without acknowledging the answer, he said, Can you pass in the grass? <laughs> the drivers didn't like that. And so Willie comes back to Charlotte, and I said, Why don't you do that, man? Was he driving in the race at No, he wasn't Talladega? driving in the race. He was just a guest in the— He was just a guest. Oh, my. Okay. You know, you yeah, just yeah, don't yeah. do that, right? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so— You'd hardly do it if you're a driver. If you're a driver, you, know? you don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Right. And then um, then I had the death threat against me over Willie. What? Well, 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 you gloss past that as if you get death threats all the time, and it's just no big deal. Well, I've gotten a few of them. I mean, you know, race fans can – I got one – you know, your your dad had one against him out there. It, and you know, it's a speedway. Okay, yeah, so, so Willie T. Ribs had a death threat against you. No, 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 no not Willie. Uh, a I'm, guy – Call me on the phone, and he says, if he runs in the 600, oh, you're I got a you. dead man. I got you. Okay. And um, so what? I was going to do it anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then he got in trouble with the cops in Charlotte. Yeah. I had to go down and get him out of the— What happened? Uh, he was running about 80 down a one-way street the wrong way. Oh, my gosh. And that's where the John Boy and Billy— one way Willie T. Ribs ballad came from, and everybody was <laughs> one way Willie T. Not heard that. One. Everybody <laughs> was into that, you yeah. know. And uh, so I finally said, "This time." So I called Willie in there and I said, "You know, you're 18 years old." He was only 18. He was only 18. Man, and actually, he ran pretty darn good. You know, yeah. we ran quite a few laps with him and Will Scarf. Uh, but I could see this thing wasn't going anywhere. And um, so I said, uh, you need to go back to California. Okay. So I got my brother to take him out to the airport. Got in a plane. As soon as he got to California, he had a press conference and accused me of being a racist, Mm. and uh, which I'm not. One thing led to another, and we finally made up after a while. Yeah. Matter of fact, I got a movie out on him now on Netflix. That's right. Yeah. So – um, we're, we're friends. And so that, but that stirred up a lot of stuff. So your dad, I thought, well, this is a good chance to get your dad in the race car. Cause I'd been, he and I've been talking a lot about it, you know? And so I said, well, how about Dale driving your car? 
And I heard this long silence, like, he's going to tear my car up. And I said, what, what are you thinking? Tell me. He said, uh, you reckon he can keep it between the fences? I said, well, I mean, we only got but one fence at Charlotte. And that's outside. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he can stay off that. And so the rest is history. And it gave him a break, and people understood that, hey, we got a serious race driver here yeah. in your dad. How well, come you wanted to help dad? Yeah. What was the relationship with you and dad at that point? Well, I'd known your grandfather well, Ralph. And Ralph had been my when I later went on to work for Firestone Racing, he had been my chief desk dirt test driver. Yeah. And I'd call him. This this is an interesting conversation. I say, uh, uh, this was Monday. I said, how'd the, uh, how'd the tires do at uh, Greenville Pickens? I never asked him about Columbia because, you know, that was that old bull towel and you couldn't tell anything there. And he said, if they were great, he'd say, I'd like to have another set of them. <laughs> <laughs> if they were medium, he'd say, well, I don't know. That's all he'd say. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, that, I translate that into no, 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 no. And if he said, don't send me no more of them, I knew that was a lousy tire. Yeah. So I could translate. I used to call it Ern, Earnhardt-isms yeah. at the time, you oh, know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but he was really good at that kind of a thing. And we were developing a Formula One rain tire at the time. And it just looked like a good dirt tire. So I sent him a set of them. Wrong. Shouldn't have done that. Oh. He goes down to Greenville Pickens. Of course, you know, the thing about your grandfather is he never showed his hand. He was so crafty. You know, if he had the fastest car in the field, he wouldn't pass the guy till two laps to go. And uh, same thing with those tires, except he was running so strong. Monday, everybody that ran a sportsman car is calling me wanting a set of those tires. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I didn't even talk to Ralph yet. And so uh, I called Ralph. And I said, no, those tires work okay? I need three more sets of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, really good. <laughs> really, really good. Yeah. But you know one thing about your grandfather, I remember down Columbia Speedway, Thursday nights, and that was kind of a showdown. I mean, it was Tiny Lund, Tom Pistone, it was uh, Leroy, Yarbrough, and Kale, and all those guys raising. It was some really stiff competition, but they couldn't outrun your dad, yeah. your grandfather. So uh, he, he'd come down there, never worked on his car. He took the car off his uh, uh Rayless rod, that's what we towed cars with back in those. That was a thing you had an old Ford. And uh, he just sit there on, against the car smoking a cigarette and uh, wait, waiting for things to go. But the best story on old Ralph, Bobby Isaac could not understand why everybody was breaking um, axle keys and those old Ford three-quarter truck ton rear ends. Yeah. That was just a common thing. And Ralph never broke one. We've tried every kind of axle key. Everybody's got uh, uh, Speedway motors and everything else and tried them, and they'd still break, particularly at Columbia. Not Ralph. Never broke. 
And we kept waiting for him to pull a rear end one night so we could see it. And people would come up and say, Ralph, I need to borrow an axle key. I ain't got one. Well, uh, how about one in your car? <laughs> I just want to see it, you know. And so finally Bobby Isaac calls me one night and he says, I figured it out. How'd you do that? I went to the Sears store and I asked for a certain type of screwdriver. And the guy said, I, I, uh, I, I don't have any. Now, Sears always got them, right? And this was kind of a common screwdriver with a, 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 a nice square shank on it. And he said, the guy said at the store, he said, this guy from Kanapolis comes down here and buys every one I get. <laughs> he says, one day he bought two dozen of them, and I couldn't figure out what. And he must have a lot of people working for him up there, you know. And what he was doing he actually finally told me what, what he'd done. He's back in the shop there in Kanapolis. And it was right ready to go to Columbia, and he's going through that car tooth and nail. And he pulled a rear end, and he noticed the axle key had a slight crack in it. And he said, I can't go down there with this. I won't, you know, so he's looking right. didn't have an axle key. But he sees this Craftsman screwdriver. And Ralph being Ralph and racers being racers, he decided he could do something about it. So uh, he got over there and cut it and made a key out of it. And he said, I had no idea that thing would last. He said, that never did break. He just kept going. And so that was Ralph's axle keys. It's amazing. And he bought them all so nobody else could, could have Nobody any. else could get them. <laughs> so, so, all right, so, so because of your relationship with Ralph, did you form the same relationship with Dale, or is is it because of Ralph that you wanted to go do a solid? Well, for Dale I'm gonna show ride? you my age now. When I was up there at Coaching Sedan Street, at that old shop, and um, you know the guys would get off the mill at two o'clock or three, whatever it was, and they'd come by there and start helping Ralph. Up to that point, no one was there in the shop. He just did it all himself, hmm. and. I'd see uh, Dale in the shop, you know, little, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And he was always into something in there. He wanted to learn about that race car. He just loved race cars and had no idea whether he could drive or not. But I ran the Concord Speedway one season, and I wanted to make sure I got Ralph there. And it didn't, didn't get him going somewhere Saturday night because that would get all the people from Kanapolis down there. And um, so we'd had good crowds. And Ralph called me and he says, I'm thinking about putting Dale in a car. You are? Yeah. I said, well, okay. So he put him in the car. Another car. Yeah. And it was terrible. He was all over the racetrack, sideways and everything else. He stayed on four wheels. He didn't go upside down, but it <laughs> wasn't pretty. And I said, well, I to call Ralph that next Wednesday. I said, well, are you going to bring him back? He said, yeah. So he did, and he kept improving, and I started seeing something in him. And also what I was really concerned about at that point was um, – us losing all the North Carolina drivers. Mm. And I said, he's, 
he would be, you know, he'd be great. So when I took over to Speedway, that was my first objective was try to get him going. So, you know, Harry Gant was not there yet, and uh, uh, there were a few other guys, but uh, we needed that North Carolina driver. And so um, I started talking to him, and I could tell that he was really more gung-ho about driving a race car than anybody had ever seen. Mm. He won, a, as you know, a bunch of dirt races. And then I said, we used to talk once a week. I said, well, Dale, what you got to do is you got to get on asphalt. You already figured out this dirt thing because you won a lot of races. But you need to learn to run asphalt because that's if you're going to cup racing or it wasn't cup racing then, whatever. Grand National. Grand National, yeah. yeah. I said, you got, to, you got to learn to get around that, uh, uh, that asphalt. So he built an asphalt car, and he thought it was asphalt. Um, and the first couple of times, he's all over the place because, as you well know, Jr., you can't – if a car doesn't work on asphalt, it doesn't matter how good a driver you are. It just ain't going anywhere, right? right? Yep. And so he wasn't going anywhere. Two o'clock one morning, I get a phone call. Saturday morning, and I said, well, somebody's dead. And it was your dad. And I never heard a man as low in my life as it was him. Mm. He said, I got nothing left. I said, what do you mean? He said, I crashed up here at Asheville Speedway. And he said, my car is in two pieces. That's how bad it was. I said, well, you didn't get hurt. No, I didn't get hurt, but there ain't nothing left in the car. The motor blocks even cracked. That's how hard he hit the wall. And I said, well... Pick the pieces up, bring it back, and come over to my office uh, uh, Monday morning. So he did. Well, your friend, Robert G. Yeah, my granddaddy. Yeah. Your granddaddy had a shop over there. And Robert would call me every week. Humpy, <laughs> I want you to make sure you bury me right there at the start-finish line. I kept telling Robert, I'm not going to do that. We're going to have a monument there to start finish line? Well, you don't have to put a monument there, but something. And I, he called, he just so fixed about that. I said, when are you planning on dying? Don't know. I said, well, is it going to be soon? No, but you never can tell today. And he just kept on me on that. Meanwhile. <laughs> have you ever heard that? We know. That's so no, crazy. meanwhile, your mother's working for me down in the ticket office. Yeah. And she was good, too. Mm. And uh, so I'd go over there every Thursday, and Robert G. and I would have a really exotic southern lunch. Bologna, <laughs> potted meat, saltine crackers, and all that stuff you've eaten yeah. many of, you know. And we'd eat over at his little house across from his shop. And so I said... Uh, what are you doing with that dirt car sitting back there? And he had it under, you know, canvas so the paint wouldn't get on it. The canvas, look, you could take it to New York and sell it for $10,000 because it was so many different colors. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, I don't know. Right one will come along and we'll go. So I told your dad, I said, go over there, 
you're broke, right? Yep. Go over here and get Robert G. to give you a job. And sooner or later, you're going to take the canvas off that car and start working on it. And I said, because you're going back to running dirt. I said, sometime in racing, you can go backwards and make forward progress. So uh, he did. And I remember going over there one day for my Thursday lunch, yeah. which your dad was joining us now because it gave us a chance to talk. And uh, all the windows were fogged up, and they were now orange. And I knock on the door, and Raymond Fox Jr. came to the door and barely cracked it. And out through the air came all this orange, vapors of orange. <laughs> of course, nobody in the place had anything over their mouth. Right. You know, their lungs were all orange, <laughs> <laughs> ancient orange. And uh, they were painting that. That car. That dirt car. Yeah. And I said, why the hell are you painting it? Well, after, I wouldn't go in, you know. And it took me a month to get over it. Because I didn't do it every day, you know. So we go outside and we go over to, to eat. And I said, uh, your dad and, and, and Robert. And I said, what, uh, why are you painting orange? And Robert said, that's all I had left. That's some of Rick Hendricks paint. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And whatever it was, you know, he'd do that. Oh, your dad came back and just scorched the earth. In that dirt car. Do you, yeah. do you know what car this is uh, off the top of your head? Yeah. I Can mean, you it, see it? Well, yeah, it's dad's, uh, dad drove dirt for Robert G. Um, the same car that um, Haywood Plyler ended up driving. Billy Scott drove it a little bit. Yeah. What number was it? Yeah. A 17. 17? Yeah, all, yeah, all the, they were all Camaros back then. But he, uh, what, what happened was, I'm down at Darlington. And your dad, they had a big race at Metrolina on uh, that night after Darlington. And Osterlin was there. And I said, uh, when are you going back? He said, I'm going back late tonight. Like, how late? Like, it's a 1 o'clock in the morning flight. I said, well, I'll drive, I'll, you can drive, ride with me up there. No, he's taking that rental car. And I said, we might go to Metrolina Speedway. And we did. And your dad started last for some reason. They probably caught him doing something. <laughs> and he took off, and it was a 100-lap race. And he hit everything but the women's room. <laughs> and he kept passing everybody. And the last lap, it was Billy Scott was leading. And your dad just went down there and caught him in the quarter panel. And, Goodbye, <laughs> and won the race. And Osterlin was overwhelmed with his driving. So I said, look, I need to get that boy in the race at Charlotte. And he and Marcus were getting ready to have a falling out anyway. Yeah. And I said, um, that's back when you could run a, a what's now a cup car in, in the, the Infinity. In, in, in Infinity. Yeah. So he said, um, make me a deal, and I'll put him in the car. It's back again, one of those things, you know. So I made a deal with him to get your dad in the car. And he did great. Yeah. I think he finished third, which was quite a deal for, you know, the competition was back in those days. And Jack Ingram and, and um, uh, Harry Gant and all those guys. I mean, that was a tough bunch. For sure. So um, after that, Osterman was pretty 
helped, and he's getting ready to fire Dave. I know sooner or later this is going to happen. I could just tell. And he said, well, I think I'll put him in a car for Atlanta. And he did. And so he entered two cars at Atlanta. That's back when nobody entered two cars. Right. And your dad did fantastic. And the rest is history after that, you know. Yeah, Dave went. Dave, we had Dave on the show, and he said that that weekend, uh, maybe Friday morning or Thursday morning, whenever they got to the track, he went right to the press box and told them that he quit Rod because he didn't like the two car team idea. Didn't want to be yeah. teammates with Dad. Nothing against Dad, but he yeah. just thought it was like I'm not nobody's teammate. Yeah, it was unheard of. Now. It was. And for the record, we're talking about Dave Marcus. Teammate. Right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Teammates. The teammate thing really didn't get going or accepted until even after Dad and Skinner, like D.W. and Neil, that whole deal wasn't very kosher. No. Budweiser, Junior Johnson. Oh, is that deal. right? Not at all. Um, wow. Dad and Skinner never clicked. I knew that. You know, Dad was totally against having a teammate, didn't want nobody else to be there. Nobody saw. Nobody did. No. They didn't see it as, oh, there's more information, here's more data, right. here's somebody that can help us if they're running good. We'll, you know, we'll learn from that. They just, I guess that there was no transparency between the teams, so there was no asset for a driver to have a teammate. But um, talking about two car teams, yeah, we go over to you for a minute. You come down there. Your dad called me. Said, Want to get a Legends car? Mm-hmm. Oh, you gonna drive? Huh? <laughs> nah, I'm gonna put my boy in. Okay. So Hank Jones stepped forward, as you know, and you know I can't say enough about Hank because Hank was the father. Of today's souvenirs. Right. Hank Jones was one of the pioneers uh, in the souvenir industry. Oh, he was. And so Hank's got his own car because Hank always wanted to race, you know. And uh, then he got one for you. So we have a big race down at the quarter mile. Last lap, I know you remember it well. I certainly do. (laughs) And Dale Jr. is running second. Okay. Hank's leading the race. He is going to win a race. Hank, I said, my gosh almighty, I'm going to sell in Legends cars as soon as I get through. <laughs> and would you like to describe the last lap, please? Sure. Um, well, t- him and he was running side by side with Benny Ortel, who was dad's PR guy. Benny Ortel. would become yeah. Mark Martin's Mark PR Martin's. guy. Yeah. And uh, But they are having a great battle for the, for the front. They kept putting it on a show a little bit, battling each other. And I rode behind them for quite a while and uh, couldn't figure out a way to get around them. So finally, the last lap, I just went in the three and bumped uh, his car owner. Yeah, bumped my car owner, <laughs> Hank Jones, up the track and uh, ended up winning the race. You won. Yeah, and it was Wednesday they won. night. It was pole night, Wednesday night. That's right. And I knew Dad was up in the condo, and he'd never seen me race. Right. You know, so I know he was up there watching. I don't, he never really told me whether he was happy about that or not. All I remember about it was we had a street stock race at Concord Motor Speedway on 601, Highway 601, later that night. All right, and I had to get to the Concord. And uh, this was uh, early enough for me to run this little Legends car and then go, go over to the street stock race. So we had to go. I went up to Hank, and I had, I had a check or I had an uh, envelope full of cash for the for the win. Right. And I had my trophy. You guys were giving away big trophies. Yeah. You'd give away trophy to the top three. Um, so I had this big old trophy, first place, first race I ever won, ever, and never had won a race in my life. 
And I walk up to Hank, and I didn't think he would be that upset, you know. I mean, it's he's seen he's he knew Dad. They worked together. Hell, his car was painted like Dad's. Oh yeah. And Dad was rough and tough and did what it took and bumped plenty of guys out of the way on the last lap. So I figured Hank could appreciate it. And he was so mad <laughs> that I had done that to him. And he gave me a piece of his mind right there on the back of his hauler. What he right said at the back of the track. <laughs> Just you know, can't believe you drove like that. That was dirty. What you did. And I said, I tell you what, Hank, I said, you're the car owner, and if it's all good with you, I'll just give you this envelope full of cash, and I'll keep the trophy, and we'll call it even. And that was the way I left it. Um, Hank, me and Hank are friends today. Yeah, yeah, but but wait, so and he said he took the money from you? Yeah. Dude, God. Well, it's Hank, on. man. That's what he does. <laughs> it's, like yeah, 15, right. it's like 1500 bucks. But you had to have been, what, 15 years old? Yeah, 15, exactly. And. You just won your first race ever, and he didn't have – yeah, man, that's hard. No, but that's hard. Hey, but, yeah. Did, did, that's how I remember it. Is that how you exactly. remember it? Oh, Hank's mad. Oh, he was he was livid because he, he never won a race he before. He never won, yeah. <laughs> did he ever win after that? I don't know. That was his one chance that he – I don't think he did. <laughs> <laughs> we, we hear this all the time from Dale Jr. here, that he never really got a whole lot of – feedback or you know uh, from his dad on his racing and and do you know can you confirm if dale was watching him in that race of course he was and do you know what he said afterwards what do you, do you have any idea no okay. I, we didn't talk about it afterwards okay. but we flash forward to the all-star race 2000 yeah the one you predicted yeah you called that one didn't you yeah but it really ticked your dad off that you said that he was going to win. Oh, God, yes. So he calls me. Usually if it's really bad, because, you know, I'm a promoter, he's the driver, and we had our differences, and uh, he'd bring his helicopter down, put it in the parking lot, come up to my office, and we'd hash it <laughs> my, out. My how things have changed since the Thursday lunches at Robert G's shop. That's haven't. right, yeah. <laughs> they sure did. Well, he said, I can't believe you did that. I said, what? Picking Dale to win the race. I said, what I did. He said, why did you do that? That's too much pressure on him. Because I think he's going to win the race. And that, he didn't have anything to say after that. <laughs> but he was not happy about that. But, but to, for everybody to know, that was your thing. You always did a press conference before the All-Star race, yeah, right? right? Do I get that right? And you yeah. would always make a prediction. And you got that right a lot. Well, when it, 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 it got below 60%, I stopped doing it. But still, <laughs> 60% was good. So, so then you come out, and, and you making the predictions was always something people look forward to. But when you go out there and say that the rookie is going to oh, win nobody. it. nobody. That made uh – -huh. now, did you really believe that, or are you just trying to – I mean, you're a promoter. Uh, no, 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 no. I was very uh, protective of the record. You know, I didn't want to <laughs> – I just saw the way – you know, I saw the way he's running. I could see how he's going in the third turn and all that kind of stuff, and I just thought, man, he's he's flying. Mm. And so um, we had uh, to to back up just a minute. Now we had a night practice. Okay. Uh, we were test. There was a little little test. Yep. A couple of days or so before the before the race, and uh, we had Tony Jr. for whatever reason. Now I would have never thought of this, and I don't know if anyone else was doing it or a lot of people were doing it or everyone was doing it. But at one point in the test, Tony Jr. sent me out there with enough fuel in the car to only run the final 10-lap segment with new tires on it. And 
we were about a third place car up until this point in the test on the timing sheet, right? He can see the, uh, Humpy can see the timing sheet. Yep. Everyone else can see the timing sheet. And we were about a third place car. We we're pretty happy. And that's kind of how we ran in the entire race, about yep. third. And so we go out there and didn't put the fuel in it, just had enough gas in it to run 10 laps, which was the final segment, put new tires on it. And that car went like a half a second faster. It flew and it kept flying. It didn't fly for just a lap. It flew for 10 laps, flew. And we would jump way to the front of the chart by several tenths. And it surprised us. And so we knew we were like, man, if we can get to that final segment. And I think that's what Humpy saw too was like, man, it that, was. there was great speed in our car. There's real speed in it. And if anybody else, now if everybody else goes, you know, goes out there and does that same thing, maybe they speed up too. Maybe they were already doing it. We don't know. But um, it was why you were going down that third turn. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I said, well, you got to let off sometime. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch the last lap or the pass on Del, Del Jared at the end, I mean, it's just amazing how fast that car was that final second. Yeah, you did go by him. Yeah. There wasn't much In of a, a fight there. Three, yeah. She was good. And then I'm so happy I can't see straight. And then Harvey Walters walks into the control tower and he says, the bridge has fallen in. Yep. Oh, that's right. And who is Harvey Walters? He was my um, operations manager at the time. And so after the race, everyone's leaving in the in the bridge that goes over the pedestrian highway there. The pedestrian bridge. The pedestrian yeah, bridge. bridge. Yeah, it that went across. Uh, collapsed. Highway 29. Yep. Oh, man, that's deflating. Oh, my God. Well, you know, you, you don't know what's, you, if you know, people when you hurt, hear that. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I had to take off then and go over there. But yeah. um, it was a, a, a good and bad night yeah. from both sides. One of the interesting things is there was 95 people on the bridge. I got sued by 106. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. Well, maybe those other ones were underneath it. Well, <clears throat> the funny thing about it is when I got over there, I saw a fireman from Concord I knew, and I said, is there anybody underneath this bridge? Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, there's a bunch. Well, there wasn't. Oh. There was almost a highway patrolman under the bridge because he watched the whole thing. Mm. He decided not to go, and he stopped. And he was just looking at the bridge, and that thing came down. And if he'd been under it, it'd been, it'd been all she wrote. But at any rate, um, it was a malfunction of the manufacturer, and he admitted it. And uh, so... Uh, but it was a it was a good and bad uh, yeah. bad night. Yeah. And because what I was going to do, I never went to the winter circle as a promoter. I thought that was nobody buys tickets to see a promoter do anything. Okay, they buy them because a driver's you know driven a great race or he's a hero of theirs or whatever it was. So I said I'm gonna but I'm going over there this time. Because I want to go over there and do something to Dale Sr. Yeah. that he did to everybody else he liked, and that's pinch them, you know, on their side real hard. <laughs> and I was just going to pinch him to it bit, but I didn't get to go over there. <laughs> but he was a happy man that he night. Was he, cha man. he changed his whole tune after he won. <laughs> he did. We were talking earlier about um, – some of the uh, like the boxing matches and other things you do as a promoter, and one of the my favorite things of all time that y'all ever had your, your pre race shows at Charlotte Motor Speedway are legendary. I don't think that there's anything that rivals them today. 
there's not been anything since. Um, Thank you. Well, they were just incredibly entertaining, almost, and if not at times for me as a kid, as big as the race. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I I think that that's key to remember. You know, a 6- to 12-, 15-year-old kid looking forward to the pre-race as much as he is actual event was a pretty big deal. You had Jimmy the Flying Greek. Yep. I ain't never seen anything as cool as a guy driving a school bus over a ramp and landing in a pile of cars nose first, and he would stand that school bus up on end, and it almost sit there for about 15 seconds till it finally fell over. And I thought that that was the most incredible thing that I'd ever seen. Well, kids loved it. Yeah, I loved I mean, I was, it was in the, in the 80s, so I was yeah. anywhere from 8 to 12 years old when all this yeah. was going down. And, man, when you know, if Jimmy was there, I was, I was not going to miss that part. I, I was going to miss a few laps in the race. I was going to miss a few other things in the pre-race, but no damn way I was going to miss Jimmy the Flying Greek when he jumped the bus. So, like, tell me about Jimmy or, or some of the experiences you had with some of the pre-race stuff. You, you blew up a lot of things on the front straight. I love to blow stuff up. Y'all blew up <laughs> so many big explosions. Yeah. Uh, you had a lot of reenactments, military reenactments. Yeah. Um, it, you know, well, I think the I think the the best one was one that no one knew was coming. Uh-huh. Bill French Jr. didn't know it. Bruton didn't know it. Wow. Nobody knew it except Harvey Walters and myself and my brother. And that was the first invasion of Granada. Well, the Grenadian War was not exactly epic, but at the same time, uh, I, I was down at Fort Jackson. I was talking to General. And I said, you know. You have to have so many maneuvers a year. Pentagon demands, right? Yeah. And I said, well, why don't you just have one at Charlotte? And you're doing it in front of a whole bunch of people rather than nobody out in the pines of outside of Fayetteville. Yeah. Well, he thought that was a heck of an idea. <laughs> so this is an actual, like, uh, like w- not a reena- an actual um, well, practice it, it for, was, the, for the military yeah, to do this. It was You're a maneuver. Saying, do it, just do it in front of a, an audience. Yeah, a whole bunch of it a maneuver, Mike. Yeah. It's a maneuver. And it's a maneuver. <laughs> and so I said, he said, well, what you got in mind? I said, well, let's do the grenade. I studied it, you know, and it was an invasion by a bunch of helicopters, Chinook helicopters with troops on them that repelled down to the infield, and then uh, Apache helicopters, uh, which is just a flying machine gun, you know, <laughs> escorting them in. So I said, you guys, that particular day, took, because we didn't have an airport at, at uh, um, Concord. I said, take off from Salisbury and come around and come in from the back side of the speedway. Uh, the main grandstand, which right. come in from the west. Right. Nobody knows you're there until you get there. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. And so, right before we did it, I did call the highway patrol. <laughs> I called a captain over there who uh, ended up working for your dad, Captain Malcolm. That's right, Captain Malcolm. I said, Captain, you'll see a bunch. Crazy stuff going on, so don't get alarmed if the phone starts ringing. And so we're not being invaded. <laughs> and so I, I pulled a couple of houses out of there and put them on the main stretch real quick, which nobody paid any attention to. You know what? Now uh, pulled a couple of 
Houses we built, yeah. Yeah, some just. Some I want props. something to blow up. Yeah, yeah, some props. Okay. Yeah, and so um, Hal Needham, you know, uh, stuntman Hal Needham. Stuntman Hal Needham. He's oh, the one right. that got me in contact with this guy in Hollywood that built that stuff. So I just got enough from him to know how to do it, and we yeah. built our own. So anyway, uh, now Patty Wheeler, my daughter, who you know is a great, that was a absolutely fantastic uh, TV producer. She did know about it too, cause she got she got the whole thing on tape, mm-hmm. and here they come, and Bill Gasaway was running the garage area then, and you know how tough he was. Well, he's over in the control tower, and I'm in the speedway control tower next to it, but I had gone upstairs so I could Watch. help everybody. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, here they came. Help everybody. Here they came. Chunga, 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 you know. <laughs> and then people in the grandstand are sitting there like, you know. And all of a sudden, here comes the first Chinook. <laughs> and everybody looking and like, well, okay, there's, they got a helicopter here. Then 12 more of them show up with those Apache choppers firing blanks out of them. <laughs> <laughs> and... and and I got a call real quick. Say, ah, oh, we're worried about the VIP suite glasses busting. I said, don't worry about it. We've already done this at night. So <laughs> you already had a practice. We already had a practice. We don't want anybody to know about it, you know. So, <laughs> you know, they came in there and they dropped it down. And then, then we had to, we blew up those two houses there, which was great. <laughs> and of course, you know, we shot a mortar at them. But they were blank, and then the guy, the dynamite man, had a little button, and he yeah. popped it, and right. they they went up. So it it was fantastic. Well, the NASCAR people went absolutely whorefish, and <laughs> man, what are you doing? You gonna fire, you gonna hit a car? And all? I said, no, I'm gonna hit a car. And I said, if they hit one, get a backup up. You <laughs> know, so um, Gasway went totally crazy. And finally, Billy France said to Gasway, said, why don't you go down to the press box and have lunch? Because <laughs> yeah. this is going to go on for a while. Oh, man. And so it was. It worked out great. But Monday, I get a call. This guy, and I know the guy. He lives over there on um, right down below where Robert G's place was. He says, you killed my horse. Oh. <laughs> I killed your horse? Yeah. And hit was a Paso Fino. <laughs> so I thought, oh my God! What is you that? Know, I don't know what it I was. Know, you... <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it sounded expensive. <laughs> you know, so fino. <laughs> and so the guy was out riding his horse, and the bomb went off, and the horse stumbled and broke his leg, and they had to shoot him. Oh no! So I knew Dick Hutcherson raised Paso Finos. I did know that, so I called Dick. And I said, "How much one of those Pasofinos cost?" And don't give me the retail price. <laughs> the wholesale. He said, "I got one over here. I'll sell you for fifteen hundred dollars." Hmm. I said, "Can you ride it?" Of course you can ride it. I said, "Well, uh, bring it over right now, and I'll, I'll pay you cash for it." So I brought it over, and I took it over to the guy, and uh, he was overwhelmed. Oh, really? And I, I just don't do it again Sunday morning. You know, <laughs> I don't want to do that, but. Um, you know, that led to the, the, the school bus. The thing about the school bus that was neat is we tried it at Bristol first. Right. I, it's on YouTube. In 1970, 
eight or so, four, 77, I think, maybe, y'all jumped it down the front straightaway at Bristol. Yeah, well. It uh, tore the track up. Oh, it tore it all to hell, and it was, um, you know, it, it, it was too short, and, and the right front hit the, and banked the bank yeah. part, knocked a hole in it. Bill Gasaway's there again. Yeah. And he's screaming. He knows that I did it. And Lanny, I kept telling Lanny Hester, the guy that was running Bristol at the time, that it would be fine, no problems, you know, yak, yak, yak. Well, as soon as we got that big hole in the track, I decided I needed to go back to Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And I wasn't around for the finale, but uh, uh, we, we'd want, I needed, we needed to do it somewhere else first. Just you, as a, Bristol was the test track. It was the test track. For all of the explosives. So this, if yeah. you watch it on YouTube, this just bus comes you know, down the front straight away. The ramp is at the end of pit wall entering turn one. When he hits the ramp, things kind of start going bad. And he's going to, I think it, he's going to jump the ramp and maybe land on another ramp. It ends up, he ends up kind of missing or landing a little short, and it sheared the whole front axle off the front of the bus. So Mm. the bus goes down Mm. the, the landing ramp, up the racetrack on the frame. Right. And just tears the racetrack all to pieces. Sparks everywhere. Yeah. It was so freaking awesome, though. I mean, they had it, uh, they got it all on video. Kale Yarbrough's there sort of helping uh, (laughs) uh, broadcast and emcee the sort of uh, spectacle in in pre-race. They got the race cars on the backstretch pits out of harm's way. Uh, This is all happening before the race went down at Bristol. Yeah, how long did it delay it? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, that's Oh, it, it was bad. Yeah. I mean, like, the race did not start on time. Right. And, and um, I, was, I know one thing. I was in Linville, North Carolina when the race started. Right. And I was taken off up through there. And uh, the North Carolina Highway Patrol had a, a, a driver's license check uh, about 15 miles outside of Linville. And I stopped. I knew the trooper. I said, what are you doing, man? Race race night. Oh, we wouldn't do it after the traffic came off. We're just really doing it to check uh, DUIs, you know. And I said, well, I said, let me stay here just a minute. I need to calm down. Hey, what happened? So I had to tell him. He wanted to know the whole story, you know. Yeah. And so I told him. But uh, it, was, it was quite a night, and the brought Jimmy back to— Jimmy the Flying Greek. Jimmy the Flying Great. Well, his name was Jimmy Koufus. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of ruins I, I it for you, doesn't it? It's yeah, fine. yeah. And I said, nah, your new name is Jimmy the Flying Greek. Oh, you, <laughs> you gave him you that? Oh, yeah, I gave it to him. Oh, yeah. of My course gosh. he did. <laughs> Jimmy the Flying Greek. Was that his first jump in a school bus at Bristol? It was the first time anyone had done it. No, oh, but anywhere. I know. Wait, wait, wait. But Jimmy the Jimmy Kufus had done it before somewhere, right? No, no, he had not done it. That was his That was How do you first talk, time. Where did you find him then? He uh I got a uh sitting in my office one day and I got uh uh a oil painting <laughs> of the I mean it was fantastic of this bus way up in the air and sparks were everywhere and it was jumping uh a football field. <laughs> but it was a painting, to be sure. It was a painting. <laughs> and he said, he wrote me a little note. He says, I want to do this, and I want to come see you and talk to you about that. And actually, what he did for a living, he drove a bus. He drove a bus from um, Las Vegas to 
L.A. and then L.A. back to Las Vegas uh, five days a week. That was his. Oh, wow. That's what he did for a living. He and wasn't even a stuntman of any kind. No, not at all. God, oh, But he thought he was. Yeah. And I'll tell you how, how <laughs> tough it was after he did the last one. And he actually got hurt on the last one. Oh. Because what was happening, he was jumping further. Because we had to, we, we, I got to um, uh, Bud Moore's race, Ford racing engines and stuck them in the bus. And that's how we got Oh, it. my gosh. That's how it got going. Faster you know. and faster. <laughs> and I was afraid to put a JATO rockets in there. That's what Kufus wanted to do. But if you put two of them in there and one <laughs> goes wrong way, you know, tell them where that bus is going to go. You know? <laughs> Yeah, so, it's good uh, to know that you have even a crazy standard that you will not go to. Uh, God, you it was so it awesome. Back. That thing would, on the front straightaway at Charlotte, he'd come off turn four, and they'd have the ramp head toward into the grass, and uh, they'd have a pile of old junk cars for him to just land right. in. And they would stack the cars every, which every race, the cars would be stacked differently, kind of like for him just to knock down or knock over. And it seemed like a relatively soft landing uh, for the, you know, for the most part. And, he wasn't sitting in the typical driver's seat oh, area really? of a bus. They would they, he would basically be seated or positioned about row three, okay, in the center of the bus, surrounded in the, roll bars right. and thick, thick padding, uh, electrical tape yeah. around these yeah. roll bars, yeah. and he's in the middle of that thing. So when I mean, you know, he, he gave his bus a crash threshold he, that he wasn't going to be a part absolutely. of. Absolutely. And then, then there was Robosaurus. Oh man. Oh, and I, that thing's I, still around today. It is. What do you mean, people, that thing, people, that thing's been for sale, traded hands. I think it was actually went to Pawn Stars. It was on Pawn Stars episode one time. Somebody trying to sell that thing. Yeah, Robosaurus. Cool. How did that get? Well, uh, we're looking for something to do to bring kids into the Saturday race. Yeah, and this is why people got to pay attention to everybody that works for them. Uh, Harriet Carter, who was the secretary then. She came into my office. I said, anybody got a good idea? I don't care what it is. Come to my office. I want to see it. <laughs> and so people come in. Like once one guy came in, he says, I know what we need to do. I said, what? He says, we need to raise Kobe beef in the, <laughs> in the infield. <laughs> well, you never want to tell anybody's got a bad idea. Okay. <laughs> Because the next one may be great. Well, a week went by, and he came by, and again, he'd come to my office. He said, I'm sure glad I don't see any of those Kobe beef cattle down in the infield now, so I take it you're going to wait a while. <laughs> well, that's true. He said, I got a better idea. I said, what is it? He says, let's raise jerk chickens in the infield. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I didn't know what a jerk chicken was. You know, I thought it was a species of chicken, yeah, and he right. did too. Yeah, of course. And he says, well, uh, I said, well, you know, chickens can fly if they're frightened enough. And what are we going to do if they get out in the track and, you know, Earnhardt's down in the track and he's going down the stretch and his big chicken hits him in the wind. <laughs> well, I hadn't thought of that. We could clip their wings. And, uh, and he says, then, he says, what we can do is right two weeks before the race, we'll chop their heads off and have have a have a, a jerk chicken sandwich. <laughs> this guy the really? concession said, oh, he's just, you know, serious totally, heart attack. Serious heart attack. 
So, you know, things like that. But this lady comes in, Harriet, and she says, she's carrying the National Enquirer. And I said, well, what you got there, Harriet? She says, well, I didn't bring your favorite newspaper, The Globe. Because <laughs> they'd had a deal in there one, uh, the uh, two uh, uh, 600s before that, where they said they had a picture of Bat Boy on the cover. Oh, yeah. I remember. It says, Bat Boy accused of assaulting a girl in the parking lot of the Charlotte Motor Speedway oh, no. after the 600. So I called the guy, the guy, the, the publisher, man, you're crazy. I said, you're t- just taking a step too further. I said, this is going to hurt our business. It's terrible. Well, I couldn't, it wasn't getting anywhere f- for him because there's not much I could do. You can sue those people. You never yeah, get to court. They're ready for that. He, 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 uh, I really put the heat on him, though. <laughs> and so about two weeks later, he called me back. He said, I got me a solution for that bat boy. Because this bat boy was born in Kentucky in a cave and raised by bats. <laughs> and he said, well, he says, what if the bat boy gets killed? I said, well, that's a start. So the bat boy got killed. He went to somebody else's racetrack and somebody shot him. <laughs> and As so the story he, goes. We got that. But anyway, we got Robosaurus. <laughs> And she pulls the center section of National Enquirer out, and it's Robosaurus. And as soon as I see it, I'm just, I got, I mean, that is it. You got to have it. <clears throat> I got to have it. I said, well, find out where that thing is, and, and let me know. She says, I've already done that. She says, it's in a warehouse in Pomona, California, and uh, the man's willing to do something. It's been in that warehouse for four years. They made it for a show, a pilot on TV, and it never got anywhere, so he put it away. So I call him, and I said, I'd like to have that Robosaurus. And he says, well, you can, but it's going to cost you. (laughs) Well, I knew that was coming. That's what they always say. And so, anyway, we finally got down to a deal where I paid him $25,000 to bring it. Whoa. Well, it was a lot of money, and it was a gamble, but, you know, he got there. And so I decided, and this is another stupid thing I did, I put it out in front of the start-finish line. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, in front of the speedway uh-huh. by oh. Highway 29. Oh, okay. Just set it out there. Yeah. Well, Malcolm calls me, and he says, Hump, you got to do something about that monster you got out there. He <laughs> says, traffic's backed up to Charlotte. <laughs> well, I didn't want to offend him, and I knew it was a problem, so I moved it. And everybody's screaming, they want to see it. Well, that's what I wanted to hear because it was a – and we had these great commercials, you know. Saturday, you know, every morning, uh, Saturday morning uh, cartoons and all that stuff, we're playing this Rover Source deal. Well, I said, okay, we're going to have a press conference. Well, the press hates this stuff. You know, they want to they want to read about racers and stuff like that. They don't want to read about humpyisms, you know. Right. And so I got Robosaurus down there, and he eats cars. You see, he picks cars up hydraulically and mm-hmm. he puts them in those stainless steel teeth and starts chomping on them, and it's great. So I go to see your dad, and I said. 
I hope you're over here and ask me if I want to run that Robosaurus. Because, you know, somebody's got to run it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I get him out there, and the guy shows him how to do it. And it's, you know, if you can run a bulldozer, which your dad sure. certainly could, he can run a, a Robosaurus. So um, we have a couple of Japanese cars out there. And he picks one up and eats it. And it's great because, you know, it dribbles a fan belt and a... Uh, <laughs> Wheels come off and you know all that kind of it's stuff. Like it's falling out of its mouth, like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then, and then I tell you, I did ask the guy to do something, and I, we rigged this up in Charlotte, uh, and that's like shoot fire out its mouth. Mm-hmm. Had to do that, <laughs> and he got it where it shoot about sixty feet. Yeah, which, you know, you set the cars on fire. Yeah, and chew them up. Yeah, that's right. So um, we have a press conference. And the press is there. Oh God, you know. What's he doing now? What's what's going on? You know. So he eats six cars, and they're taking pictures of it and all like that. And I said, "Now, ladies and gentlemen, you want to know who's operating this? Would the operator please come out? It's none other than Dale Earnhardt." And they went crazy. Then all of a sudden, it every news. Station in the two Carolinas, Tennessee, Virginia, et cetera, let off with that thing eating those cars. <laughs> and uh, it, it was really neat. But the night before, we were practicing, and your dad was, you know, learning how to operate. Well, we had about six junk cars, and he had eaten all of them up. <laughs> and he says, We need some more cars. I said, We don't have any more. He says, the parking lot's full of them. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> well, about that. We, no. got a, we, we sold 14,000 more tickets. With Robosaurus? With Robosaurus than we'd ever sold on, on Saturday before. Man, that's incredible. Well, man, I, um, you know, we had a lot of notes here uh, with a lot of stuff that we wanted to talk to you about. Didn't even get to most of it. Um, Want to ask you if you'll come back. Oh, be glad to. Be glad um, to. Now you know how to get here. Yeah. Well, you know, I used to know how to get here, and then my GPS and my head stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that happens all of us at some point. But we appreciate you coming out here, Humpy. It was a lot of fun listening to these stories. Well, Dale's great to be on the show, and a lot of people talking about this show. So you got something going, son. I we mean, you really to, do. We're trying to crank it up and get it going. Yeah. Having fun. It's been a. Um, it's just been so much fun just kind of going back into these like, stories we heard today with you and just getting a little bit of a history lesson, a little more of the details into what goes on in those stories. Because yeah. we, we know the statistics, we know the pictures and, and, and that it happened, but we don't know the men and people that were involved in it. And right. So really appreciate you spending your time to come over here and share yes, some sir. of Yes, sir. Well, I'm delighted to do it. We do got a lot more to get to if, you, if you'd come back, and we'd love to have you again. Love to come back. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Humpy. We appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. All right, everybody, time for the Valvoline DIY segment. It's been a whole off-season, Dale, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that are wondering some restoration race car updates. Sure. Yeah, do you have any for us? Have you been back there, Mike? I haven't. All right, well, I posted a picture of the Nova. Uh, we got a Nova that we're restoring that Dad drove in the mid-'80s in the Xfinity Series. He won Darlington, Daytona, Rockingham, Charlotte. Uh, that car's in primer. 
Oh. Yeah. So I posted oh. a picture of that on social media. I've got this sort of a thread going about that car. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm waiting on it to get a little paint, and then we can start putting it back together. The Monte Carlo that Dad won the championship with in 1980 is the first car in the Glory Road uh, exhibit at the mm. Hall of Fame in Charlotte. So go to NASCAR Hall of Fame to see the Glory Road exhibit. I helped curate that with the members and staff at the Hall of Fame. And it's basically all the, not all the champions, but some of the great champions that our sport has had. And it's the cars that they drove uh, to win those championships. So Dad's Monte Carlo is the first one you'll see. The, the, it's decaled correctly to the last race that it ran. With uh, which happened to be the first race that Dad ever had Wrangler on the quarter panel of his race car. All right. Uh, the last race of the year in 1980 at Ontario, uh, California. The car doesn't have an engine because it needed to go to Glory Road, and the motor, which is getting rebuilt, was not here. So, oh. uh, and the odd thing about that is, so when you look through the wheel well, you'll see that the motor's not in it. The odd thing about that is, is it's at Glory Road for three years. The Glory Road uh, exhibits wow. a three-year commitment for the people that donate their cars, all right? And these cars are owned by collectors all over the world. And so we have to, and some people that we reach out to don't want to release their cars for three years. Um, but uh, luckily we found 18 willing owners, and I was one of them. Yeah. I was, I was, you, you couldn't wait. I don't know what was more cool for me was to be a curator for the exhibit or to be an owner in a that was lending a car uh to to the to the exhibit that was pretty cool so i got the 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 monte carlo is there for three years when it gets back we'll we'll keep tuning on it um it's got i gotta put the drivetrain back in it and then see how she drives and runs a little bit gotta get in you know got, got a few more things to do to that car before i really trust it the eventual goal, I think, for both of these cars, the Monte Carlo and the Nova, is to be able to take them to Darlington or Daytona or whatever at certain times over the years for people to just to see them and look at them. And um, I'd love to take that Nova and pace the, you know, drive, be out in front of the pace car for the Xfinity race at Darlington on the throwback weekends. That'd be really cool because that car raced and won at that racetrack. Um, so super cool to be able to do that. So that's the update, man. Now, how much longer for the Nova, do you think? I have no a clue. Year? Uh, probably another year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good. We'll have some uh, uh, restoration updates then for the for, for all of 2020 on this segment. So that's awesome. Um, and, yeah, check out the uh, Monte Carlo over at the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte. It's, it's well worth it. And you curated it. Can you just reel off a couple other cars that you got in that display? Do you remember? Uh, there's a 442 from Richard Petty that's really cool. I sat in the car and – Rusty Wallace's championship car, uh, Alan Kowicki, I'm you know Daryl cool. Waltrip, uh, Mountain Dew Buick. It's a, there's a bunch of great, great race cars. There's a, there's a Kelly Yarborough 442 Oldsmobile as well. Just a lot of cool cars in there. Man, that's awesome. Well, this segment's brought to you by our friends at Valvoline. Valvoline trusted for 150 years. Ready for us, Junior? Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. We are live on our YouTube channel at Dirty Mode Media for the Ask Jr. part of our show. Uh, welcome back first to everybody for the 2020 season. We're excited about this year and uh, excited to be back uh, connected with everybody on uh, 
on the internet. So let's get started. Leah is here. She's going to be asking the questions you guys are sending in. Hello. First question is from Patty. Um, she wants to know how excited you are to get to wave the green flag oh, at Daytona 500 this weekend. I'm, I'm excited. I'm a little nervous, but I feel like I can do a pretty good job. I've been practicing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Simple responsibility, to be honest with you. I, I, I did the command. That's a little more nerve-wracking because you got to speak in front of thousands of people. Waving the flag, I don't have to say anything. I just get up there and, and you know, let her rip. Should be a good time. And then I get to see a race, right? Yeah. Get to watch, get to get, be in Daytona and watch a race. Should be fun. Ryan wants to know what's your favorite thing you did this off season. My favorite thing that I did this off season, goodness, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, is it? I uh, what is, what was your favorite thing that you did? It's tough, ain't it? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing probably, is a good answer for an off season for sure. Probably just you I know, know Matthew has an Matthew. What's the what? What is the greatest thing that you accomplished? What's, uh, what's the coolest <laughs> thing <laughs> of your off? Well, I, I should say something family <laughs> to to be yeah. nice, but I would say it actually had something to do with you too, Dale. Well, you and I were together. But, Oh, but it apparently didn't make his list of cool things. That running through, you know, running through places together, walking. Through I will places. say that, yeah. So, <laughs> well, that, that's a question. Somebody wants to know about all Let's, these old racetracks. All right, yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, we can. Talk all right. about that. So this will answer both those questions. One of the one of the funnest things that I've been doing uh, this off season is putting together a new TV show with Matthew. And yes, we're going out to these old racetracks, these relics abandoned. Uh, racetracks and and learning more about them and we're putting a show together to sort of bring those stories to life and there's a lot of people that are doing that right now uh, but we're going to put our own little spin on it and you know it's something that me and Matthew have been passionate about for over a decade and without giving too much away about I don't know 10 years ago I uh, started reading about uh, abandoned racetracks and was really shocked to find out that there are a lot of racetracks that are still uh, visible either from aerial footage, uh, Google Earth, whatever. Uh, physically, you can go and, and still go to some of these places and see, okay, I see where the banking of the turn was and whatnot. And I became most interested in any of the tracks from the past that are still there today, any even if it's only a section of the track or a little bit of asphalt or, or banking or whatever, or guardrail or a post in the ground, any evidence, physical evidence, if that's still there, I wanted to document that racetrack on a map. So I created a custom map on Google Maps, and I started doing that. And I basically would sit on my computer, look for the locations of some of these racetracks, digging into you know, the, the message boards and the depth of the web and, and getting information of where exactly some of these tracks were located and then going on the map to look for them, visual, you know, just on my computer. And if I found through uh, aerial footage or that, you know, uh, Google Earth view of the, the, the track, if I found what I was looking for, I would, I would document it and uh, tag that location. I did this for about 10 years. Uh, little did I know that Matthew was doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Me and him knew each other, but didn't we weren't friends. We didn't we weren't buddies as far as we didn't hang out and talk, right? Uh, but we hired Matthew to help us uh, with Dirty Mo Media and this show, uh, Dale Junior Download. And I said, "Hey, man, I got this cool map. You like history? I like history. 
uh, I got this cool map of all these tracks. And he goes, I got a map too. I mean, the exact same, we, we were doing the exact same thing in two different, you know, universes. And so we merged our maps together and we have over 600 tracks, right? Oh, no. How many we got uh, now? My buddy from Canada, we've been working on it big okay. and we're up to 1,700. Oh what? Yeah. Wow. I'll send you the update. It's crazy. All right. So anyhow, I had a, I had several hundred on my map. Matthew had several hundred on his. Uh, we obviously had some copies, uh, some duplicates, but we merged our maps together and had over 600 locations in the United States. And so we were creating a TV show that's going to take me and him to some of these racetracks to see them and talk about them and find out about them. And it's going to be a lot of fun and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are as interested in this stuff as we are. There's a lot of great content on YouTube and so forth, and um, it's going to be fun sort of, you know, trying to tell our side of it or tell our experience and, and uh, uncover some mysteries uh, about these racetracks. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good, bad, sad, tragic, uh, exciting <laughs> thrilling stories about these little little places that that you know haven't been talked about in years or ever told before and so but to be able to walk into some of these places in the woods you'll be in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden you'll see this racetrack that's not you know not been in, uh, a facility a working facility for decades and it's it's really powerful it's kind of ghostly and mysterious and and interesting for sure so we'll see if we can bring that across the screen to you guys when you're watching the show and it's been a lot of fun though we've been working on it uh putting together episodes for the past several weeks we've got a great team of people that are working hard dirty mo media's uh putting the whole production together so it's been hope can't wait this when can we tell them where they can find it when it comes out yeah you tell all right it's on peacock tv when it's a streaming service that nbc is launching in july and it's going to be part of that program uh programming lineup which we're excited about so that's peacock tv and then later in the year uh eventually i think it'll come to to linear tv but peacock tv go ahead and make your plans to subscribe to that when it comes out in july all right nicholas wants to know how crazy will it feel going to homestead in march weird right i i mean (laughs) that's just right around the corner we're going to run xfinity race at homestead in march and it's literally just weeks away uh, so it's it's strange because I'm used to like waiting a little later in the year before we are going to run whatever race we're going to run, um, and they moved Homestead to March, and so that, I think that's going to be strange for everybody not to be there at the end of the year. We're so used to going there and that being our our final week or our final. It's like the last day in school. Uh, everybody's excited, and and um, it's not going to be like that this time. I don't think it'll be any worse or better or one way or the other it's just going to be different still a fun racetrack that's why i picked it i want to go out there and, and run on the fence and have some fun sliding around and uh plus it's you know florida's a great time any time of year weather's great Susie wants to know if you have a pick for rookie of the year man that's tough you know i, I the thing the the unknown for me i think is reddick so i've been in uh talking a little bit to his camp and they are pretty confident, man, that RCR is making some good changes and 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 RCR's kind of struggled over the last couple of years, but uh Tyler and his group feel pretty good about uh their potential this year. So I think he could he could surprise some people with some of the runs that he's going to have. 
uh, it'll be a tale of two two different parts of the year for Tyler, I think, the, and all the rookies really. The first half of the season, and then the second half, um, you'll see a big improvement in a lot of these guys as they go through the year. But there'll be a lot of bumps in the road, and and a lot of mistakes, and and things to learn, and just running the longer races can be. You wouldn't think that that would matter, that you're in the car for another 200 to 300 miles. But, uh, you know, you get your body and your mind, mental, your mental state and your ability to concentrate and focus, you sort of get trained into those 300-mile those windows. And then to be able to push yourself to go further, it takes a little work. And uh, that first year is all about, you know, making that adjustment. Um, the guy that can do that, I think, out of the gate is the guy that'll have the best opportunity to uh to win that rookie of the year all right guys that's all we have time for today all right y'all appreciate y'all tuning in for ask junior all right man we got that odd history coming up here with daytona speed weeks people don't even call it speed weeks anymore i do i, I still do man. what is it? old what school a, what a is there was daytona day for a while which <sighs> somehow won some award <laughs> and, and they tried to you know they tried to literally uh uh, hijack the the name of the race week. Right. right? Yeah, but you gave it so much publicity. If oh, they say negative so publicity is good publicity, he gave it plenty of Look, pol- man, publicity. I got nothing against the people that that's right. cr- the creative on that, but didn't like it. You were not a fan. Speed Weeks is what it's called. Damn it. It's Speed Weeks. Okay, so with Speed Weeks here, Daytona 500 closing in, uh, it always provides... Some pretty wild racing and, and wild partying, too. Much. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. well, yep. a speed week. Back in the day, teams would be down in Daytona for weeks upon weeks testing. Mm. All right? Uh, just for the two weeks of speed weeks. That's why they call it speed weeks, because it's two weeks it's of more racing, than one week. Right? Yeah. But there's a lot of testing that goes on, too. That's right. Uh, and it's not only Cup, Xfinity, and Truck teams. There's ARCA teams. There's dirt track comp- competitors and and multiple divisions of asphalt racers competing at New Smyrna Speedway. So, I mean, the whole town is full of racers uh, during the month of February and even a little bit of January. Yep. Two partying legends of Speed Weeks, all right, were NASCAR Hall of Famer Richie Evans. I did not know Richie Evans was a partier. I didn't either. (laughs) Oh, he was? Oh, yeah. And the great... Dick Trickle now, that makes more sense. Was Dick Trickle a known partier? Well, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. well, a guy carried around a suitcase with the Reese cups. Reese cups and <laughs> cigarettes. He, well, had he, the, he had that deal, uh, one hour of sleep of, for every hundred laps. And a pair of underwear. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's a party right there. These two giants of the short track scene raced all over Florida during speed weeks, including at Daytona. These great friends were competitive on the track and in the party scene afterwards. Mm. One night, down at JB's Fish Camp, all right, a huge fight broke out, and both drivers were involved in this fight. Legendary short track car owner Joe Brady was worried if they'd be getting in trouble while fists and bottles flew through the air. It was quickly pointed out that the owner of the restaurant was right alongside Evans in the brawl, throwing bottles himself. <laughs> After the fight, the wildness carried on outside the restaurant as Evans got in Trickle's pickup truck and did donuts in the parking lot. I mean, that's that's always a... Uh, that's always a good way to counter uh, the offense, or, or is to jump in a truck and do some donuts during the fight. It certainly ratchets up the uh, <laughs> the the, the, uh, the emotions. Look, man, the guy's got a good left hook. The only defense is donuts in a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> 
the two were always trying to outdo each other, okay? One night, Evans got trickled good, man. A bunch of them were at a risque watering hole in the Daytona area. Strip club. <laughs> Is that what you think that means? I think that's probably what that means, don't you? We should just say that. Shoe show. Shoe show? What Shoe is? show. That's all they're wearing. Oh, I got it. You never heard that? I don't get it. No. <sighs> I get it now. <laughs> so why does Matthew got to have like these sayings that only he knows? That, that, I, didn't, he I didn't make that up. Yeah, okay. You didn't make that up? Who I can't made? take credit for that okay. one. I'm not that smart. Well, man, I've never heard that one. And he's been in plenty of strip clubs. Hey, so. wait. <laughs> hey, hey. Calm down. <laughs> a shoe show. My goodness. Evans, all right, so they're in this risque watering hole in Daytona. Evans asked Joe Brady to hand him Dick Trickle's keys, all right? So Richie then disappeared for over 30 minutes, and when he, t- he, he returned, he quickly grabbed everyone and said, let's go... Uh, Get out of here. Let's, let's, let's leave Trickle behind. All right? At the end of the night, Dick Trickle went out to his car only to find it gone, missing. After talking to the owner of the bar, the cops were called in. They took Trickle to the station to file a report for his stolen vehicle. But just as they pulled up, Dick yelled out from the back seat, Hey, there's my car! It was parked on the hillside on the grass right next to the police department sign. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> The Wiley Evans had planted the vehicle there as the ultimate prank on his racing, partying friend, Dick Trickle. First of all, mess with another man's vehicle. Yeah. That, 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 that's not, I mean, is that taking it too far? I think it's taking it too far. That is. And we got two times when Richie Evans goes and messes with Dick Trickle's vehicle. One time, uh, Denny Hamlin uh, was, we were hanging out at the uh, Whiskey River Western Town down on my property, and oh, yeah. we called Denny to see if he wanted to come out and have some beers with us, and he did. And he had just got a brand new seven series BMW. All right, and he was proud of that thing, company car for or whatever for from from Joe Gibbs. And he comes out there, and I'm like pumped up. Denny's gonna hang out. Uh, we didn't get to hang out that much, and the more we got to become peers or competitors, the less you party with your right your buddies right right but anyways Denny's hanging out and man in like an hour and a half he's like all right man i'm taking off i'm like what it's only like 10 o'clock I'm like no man where are you going you know and so somebody distracted him and me and a couple other buddies went out to that sim series and disabled it what yes. wait what god what a, what a jerk thing to do yes right? yeah and so then he goes out there to try to crank it and it won't start and he's <laughs> now he's not in a partying mood anymore. He's no, really worried kind about of a buzzkill. He's worried about his car, <laughs> so we had to put it back together so it would run. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so yeah, messing with a man's car is is a risk risky little deal. Just Risque. It, just it, all you got to do is just assume. What if we, as the Dirty Mo Media crew, decided <laughs> while Dale Jr. was in here taping, we had his truck disassembled or or just messed with? Yeah. What if we just put something in there to make it odored? You know, odor, odory, odor. Uh, smelly, stinky, whatever it is. He would come unglued. Yeah. yeah. No humor in it. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. All right. White flag. Attention subscribers of this podcast. You will have a bonus episode of the Dale Jr. Download to look forward to this Friday. Our good friends at Chevrolet are hosting us at the Chevrolet Experience Center to preview the Daytona 500. we got Jimmy Johnson stopping by, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., the pole setter. 
will be there. So it's going to be fun. It's not an open event, but you will get the bonus episode of the Dale Jr. Download Friday evening and also highlight videos uh, throughout the weekend. Right, Leah? Yep. So uh, follow Dirty Mo Media's social media channels for that. It's at Dirty Mo Media. Also, very important, pay close attention to this. The Dale Jr. Download now drops on different days this year. The podcast on Tuesdays. The TV show on Wednesdays. I'll say it again. The podcast on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock and not a minute later, right? Uh, sure. But that'll be on podcasting platforms and then the TV show on Wednesday on NBC Sports Network. <laughs> Dale Jr., we are heading to Fort Lauderdale, Florida this Thursday for the grand opening of Whiskey River oh. at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. So we're very excited to see Whiskey River chain spreading to different areas. Uh, so listen to this, everybody. You've got some new reading to do in 2020. It's Kelly Earnhardt Miller's new book, Drive, Nine Lessons to Win in Business and in Life. You can pre-order that book right now at kellyearnhardtdrive.com. That address, again, is kellyearnhardtdrive.com. Lastly, you've probably already heard, but right now, uh, the people that you hear on this podcast, uh, namely Dale Jr. and Matthew Dillner, plus a lot of people behind the scenes here, we're working on a television series about abandoned racetracks. It's going to be special, guys, and you will only find it on Peacock TV. That's NBC's new streaming service that will launch in July of this year. So go ahead and make your plans to subscribe to Peacock. A lot of good programming, but none better than the one we're doing, guys. And that is it. <laughs> All right. Well, man, it's just great to be back again doing this show. I sure missed it. We took a little break in all season. I tried to talk Mike into doing a little show uh, in December or January just to, hey, this is what everybody's been up to, but couldn't convince him. <laughs> it's, um, it's hard, man. Cold. But yeah, it's great to be back. We've got a, we got a, we got a great year coming. Not only do we have a lot of great guests that we're going to be on this show for the Dale Jr. Download. Mike, you talked about it. We're going to have a great TV show for you as well about some of these old ghost tracks. That's right. Um, and I can't wait to, to, to show people what we got. Dirty Mo Media, man. Always changing, always evolving, being creative. It's going to be a good year this year, 2020. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.